Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're rocking with the most awesome The Carl Nelson Show. Abarigani family, happy Kwanzaa, Umuja Day, Cooperative Economics. Later, the man credited with creating Kwanzaa will be back in our classroom. Dr. Milana Karenga will discuss the origin, the symbols, and some of the rituals associated with Kwanzaa. But before we hear from Dr. Karenga, gang interventionist, Malik Spellman will break down the effects of gentrification in the black community. But to get us started this morning, DC activist Al Malik Farrakhan from Ceasefire Don't Smoke the Brothers and Sisters is here. Salam alaikum, my brother. Why so long, sir? How you doing? Excellent. How about yourself? Lower under the weather. Um, All right. We, we're gonna we're gonna handle that for you this morning, though. We're gonna make you feel much better because uh, you've got a lot of information that you can share with our community. And first of all, I got to ask you because I've, I've been I heard a lot about ceasefire, don't smoke the brothers and sisters. I've heard a lot about uh, the, that you guys are opposed to the crime of trying to help find help uh, create some safety in the district. But tell us how did this group get uh, started? Mister Farrakhan in nineteen eighty nine. He put out that there was a contract on young black men. The government had the contract. And that put in motion in my mind. And I was incarcerated at the time, Carl. And uh, it's something to be able to do. I'm watching the young folks come into prisons. And they, where they had dissipated gang activities to become Panthers, Nick Cole, and what have you. They were at it. So I put together ceasefire with the help of uh, Elijah Kareem, Minister Elijah Kareem, while I was on the inside of the penitentiary. But it was Minister Farrakhan that asked us to help our people, man. And he's the very one that we don't listen to. That they say, don't listen to what Minister Farrakhan is saying because he's racist and he's this and he's that. But he got the, one of the greatest answers of how to stop this. It, it, has that call resonated so far? Because we still hear the violence... In, in all of all of the districts, you know, carjackings, shootings. What, what's going on here? Are the young people not listening? Well, cause not just that young folks are not listening. Why would you or any other this listening man that has any common sense uh, want to think that our former slave masters caught right? want to do something that helps stop this killing, you know? And you're absolutely right, you know, but some of our folks don't get that. The problems in our community are going to have to be solved by us, 
Nobody's coming to help us. We're all we got. And we've got to figure a way how to solve these problems. And one of them is the crime. So you started this group. And you said you started after a call from Minister Farrakhan. Tell me exactly what does the group do? Man, we intervene before things happen with the killings. After it happens, we have a strategy. We have our peace squad that deals with uh, different issues that take place out in the city. Uh, I personally, myself, was in a gang and then a gang leader. So I understand uh, the language of different gangs and the culture that goes behind it. And I'm glad you mentioned that because you're coming up later. We're going to speak with another brother, Malik, uh, brother Malik, uh, out of L.A. And he's a gang interventionist. He's been in the gangs, and also now he works with the brothers and sisters when they come out of the gangs. And he's he knows that that, that gang culture, and he saw it spread. In fact, he put us in touch with some brothers who were in captivity, and they had a burner phone, and they they listened to the show early in the morning out there somewhere in California. But anyway, they got busted and they found the, the phone and they sent them to the shoe. And they, then they started a hunger strike. And I, I got to tell Malik this story. They started a hunger strike. And, and then uh, I think it's been going on. But supposedly things are supposed to be worked out after the start of the year. But they were put in the shoe. That's a, and, and folks who have been inside know what that is. You know, it was, you're locked up there for almost 24 hours a day. But I want to go back to you because the, the situation, as I mentioned, in, in Washington, D.C., is something that we have to deal with because these are our people. These are our youngsters who, who are, you know, going on inappropriately. And, and and somehow some people think that, you know, the, the, the appropriate action is to call the police or, or you know, work with the cops. But still, that's, that's sort of a no-go in our community. How do you deal with that? Because people think, you know, one of the, th- the biggest things or one of the things that working with young people and, and who, you have to be involved with the police is snitching. How do you deal with the snitching issue, Brother Al Malik Farrakhan? Well, we don't deal with snitches. We don't deal with child molesters. We stay away from that. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know, there used to be a code called that needs to go back in the street, and that's what's lacking. You know, these young brothers out here, they don't know the code. And if you sit down and talk to them and you watch how intense they get called, when they hear this, they say, damn, why nobody told us this before, right? You know, uh... A lot of people pimp these babies, man, and pimp the misery off our babies getting killed, excuse me, getting locked up. You know, 
we have a tendency. It used to be old African saying, monkey see, monkey do. Right? It's drive-by shootings and stuff, man. Didn't come from black folks. But we be emulating our slave masters. You know, when uh, Al Capone, when he did his massacre, Dutch Schultz and all them, that's become folk heroes. You can find them in the archives and things of that nature. We look at those and we want to be like that cop, but that didn't come from us. We've been emulating. You got the Jewish gangs that's been cutting up, the Irish gang, the mafia, and they still do. But it doesn't make the news like what goes on. In our community, these young brothers want a way out, but they're tired of being used and pimped. It's all about money, not about the young brothers and sisters' lives and give them true knowledge of who they are. Once you know them, they um, a man or woman with the knowledge of where they come from and who they are, cop. They, 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 uh, Attitude begin to change. A lot of us hate ourselves, hate our hair, eyes, nose, and lips. It's part of that Willie Lindrum, Willie Lynch syndrome. It still exists. Willie Lynch said, if you follow my kit, you can control your slaves from 300 to 1,000 years, Carl. And it was strong of what he did and played us against one another, the light against the dark, the dark against the old, and etc. But ask yourself this, Carl. The murder rate in the 90s was four, five hundred in DC and things of that nature, right? In the in the late eighties. And we brought that murder rate down to eighty-eight. But all of a sudden, we say defund the police. And most people don't pay no attention to this. But then the murder rates start going crazy all across the country again. So what do we do? So what do we do? Um, uh, Brother Al Malik Farrakhan, what, is, if, what would you like adults who are listening to you now? Because the problems in Washington, D.C. with our young people are not just confined to the district. It's, it's in our major urban centers, uh, centers that many of us control uh, uh, from the city council or alderman or mayor. We control those, those offices. What would you like to see them do differently, the elected officials? No, no, no. Let's go back to what I just got to saying, Carl. Because I, I think that shadow over everybody's head, man. Right? When the Crips and the Bloods, they tried to sit down and come together before the Rodney King. Right? They would snatch a Blood or Crip and take them to the opposite neighborhood and throw them out the car and shoot in the air. Right? Then they got the funds that they needed and they was hunting down Crips and Bloods. Law enforcement. I was put in the wheelchair called by law enforcement. 
And most law enforcement have taken off the colors or put on the colors of law enforcement and took off the Ku Klux Klan uniforms, cop. I just asked how many paid attention. Then when they said defund the police, when the murder rate had come down, that all of a sudden the murder rate jumped up. You got places in Washington, D.C. at the police headquarters that you can see down there all over the city. You got at 14th and U, where they had emergency preparedness on the eighth floor. You can see all over the city. You got areas where police haven that somebody can drive through there and do a drive-by and get away. Man, put our thinking caps on or what time it is. You know, I have on my phone call, and, and we can get up close and personal and let you hear it. We're a former lieutenant. We're saying, and I witnessed this take place in L.A., and I'm not from L.A., I'm from here. We're law enforcement was doing the drive-by call. Yeah. Uh, Joe, hold that thought right there, uh, Brother Al Malik Farrakhan. We've got to take a short break here. We've got to take our first look at the traffic and weather. We come back and come up with some solutions because we know what the other folks are doing, but there are some things that we can do. And that's why I like that your group, Ceasefire Don't Smoke, the Brothers and Sisters, is doing in Washington, D.C. And hopefully people listening around the country, they can start a, an organization like yours to help cut down the crime in our neighborhoods. 800-450-7876. You want to join this conversation with Brother Al Malik Farrakhan? Reach out to us. We'll take your phone calls, though, in four minutes at 14 after the top. They are right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. In the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. Habari Ghani family, 20 minutes after the top of the hour. This is the third day of Kwanzaa. As the man said, it means collective work and responsibility to build and maintain our community together and make our brothers' and sisters' problems our problems and to solve them together. And that's what this group, Ceasefire, Don't Smoke the Brothers and Sisters, has been doing in Washington, D.C. for quite some time. Leading that group is an activist, Al Malik Farrakhan. And, and Brother uh, Al Malik Farrakhan, I'll let you finish your thoughts. You were telling us something right before we left for the traffic and, and news update. Well, Carl, I don't remember what that was. You got to excuse me, as I told you earlier. That's a little bit under the weather, right? So if you yeah. could refresh what I was saying, I can go from there. Okay, because we were talking about a story, uh, but forget about that, because somebody wants to talk to you right now on line two. Ronnie's calling us from Washington, D.C. Ronnie, good morning. You're on with Al Malik Farrakhan. Uh, good morning, fellas. How y'all doing? Good morning. All right, let me get my phone right. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't have any questions, but I know Farrakhan, I know he's been putting in work with the youth for many, many years, actually decades. 
So what changed my, my faith is my, my belief in faith is when I met him, like he said, he was in a wheelchair. Years later, this man was walking. So if you tell me it's not a law or a God, hey, something wrong with you. But uh, Farrakhan, keep up the good work. When I see you again, we'll talk about this conversation. Thank you, Carl. And keep doing what you're doing, man. I love y'all, man. Keep it up, Carl. Uh, uh, thanks, I appreciate Ron. that. Uh, I'd like to address that uh, call with Brother Sam. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, seven seven doctors said that I never ever walked again. In 2002, over at Union Temple, they gave me the Fredless Douglas Award. Not that I felt that I deserved it for what I do, right? But I accepted it. And Minister Farrakhan, Touch both of my legs, Carl, in front of 1,800 people. And I had been in that wheelchair at the time for 15-some years from the merciless beatings of the Los Angeles Sheriff Department and the LAPD. You know, we approved that they were recruiting stations for the Ku Klux Klans and whatever. And three and a half weeks after that, I got pain running all through my legs after Mr. Farrakhan had touched me, man. But he said a prayer in Urban. And I told him, Mr. Farrakhan, I don't know that prayer. He said, I merely asked the law to bless Malik with the use of his legs again because he, Minister Farrakhan, was going to need the wheelchair. Three and a half years later, I'm standing on braces, and I get a call from Minister Kadir, the regional minister here for Minister Farrakhan, and asked me, was I sitting or standing? I have no clue why I lied to him, the minister, but I told him I was sitting. He said, brother, Minister Farrakhan is in a wheelchair. I fell back, hit my head, the whole shot. But it's behind the fact of him touching me that I'm standing. So what the brother just said, that it's totally 100%. Here's a man that we don't want to listen to. We let others tell us to stay away from him. That has the plan, man, to change all this up, God. I'm just a little uh, empty vessel trying to take my people to safety because at one time I used to be the person out there wrecking havoc. But it's through the nation of Islam that I changed my life around. I want to ask you uh, about that at uh, 25 after the top there. Let me ask you about that, uh, uh, Al-Malik Farrakhan. What was it that, because you said you, you were out there in the streets, uh, you know, just like some of our young people are right, right now, but something happened. What happened? What was well, it? Well, I just told you, right? You know, like I'm, I'm uh, giving a return 77 call, right? And back in the 60s, we had gangs in this city. And we, right, uptown, we were the ones that kind of brought this gunplay in. But it's by me meeting brothers that was in SNCC, Core, 
pastors, but especially the nation that caused my life to turn around. But I was branded as a beast. I was given 5 to 23 to 10 and determined life sentence for a case that wasn't mine. For standing up against the police. Yes, I did some gangster activities and all that as well. But the consciousness, man, you know, uh, Kwame Ture, which was Stokely Carmichael, I'm the one that first took him to the Mars on New Jersey Avenue. Right? H. Rap Brown. Right? Camille Alameen. These were some brothers that I learned from earlier as well. But it was the teachings of the Honorable Master Elijah Muhammad that touched me, Carl, to make me not want to hurt my people no more. I wanted love <coughs> for my brother and sister, what I love for myself. And that's what turned my life around. And it's helping so many other young brothers out here in the street today, Carl. You notice that the religion of Islam is growing, man, faster than any other religion. That is so true, and that's such a touching story right there, Al-Malik Farrakhan, and I thank you for sharing it with us. Because, you know, we're, at some point we're, we're on this journey called life. You know, we get, reach a fork in the road and we have to make a, uh, a decision, and you made the right decision. And you've stood by it ever since, and I, and, and I appreciate that. And love the fact that you, you're here right now to share that story with us because people, are, like I said, we're all on this journey. And people are on this journey, and they're still hating on each other. Maybe somebody will hear that story this morning and decide, well, I've had enough of hating on my, on my brothers and sisters. You know, I haven't figured out how the system of racism and white supremacy works and, 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 and wise up and start loving each other. So thank you for that. But go ahead. Let me, let me say this, Carl. I was standing in front of Ben's Chili Bowl back in 1996, you know. Uh, you know, I teach entrepreneurial skills, things of that nature, TV production, and all those things to empower our youth, right? See, when I came home, I was in my 50s and started on this journey, man, right? I, I didn't chose to do this. Allah, God, put me on this mission. Uh, quite a few are called, but very few are chose for it. And I'm standing down there, <coughs> and I thought it was a drive-by. Two cars come zooming down and, 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 and got their 12th Street and made this abrupt U-turn. Like they give her the cat. I got a brother with me. I said, man, <coughs> this is a hit. I said, man, run. He said, man, I'm not leaving you in that wheelchair, brother. And the brothers, but the first car pulled right in front of the Lincoln Theater. The other one stopped right there at the alley at, at, at where Ben's Killing Bowl is. And both of cars, all the doors opened up. And these young brothers, at the time, I was on the catheter and stuff like that, Carl, right? In the wheelchair. And the brothers say, brother, we don't know you, 
but we watch your show on DC TV. <laughs> and man, keep talking to us. We appreciate you, brother. I said, man, oh boy, my whole foundation just took off. You feel me? I thought it was a hit. But these brothers jumped out the car that was living that life to tell me, man, we love you. See, Carl, I went to the gangbanger. Anthony Muhammad, that's in the Nation of Islam, was the prison ministry over at the jail. And I told him, brother, <coughs> They're going to send me out of here. They denied me parole. But they're going to put me in the halfway house. Man, can you pick me up and take me to all the hot spots in this city, car? The people that I connected were, were the gangbangers themselves. And asked them. We took the gangbangers. No police with us. No nothing. The ones that were shooting one another and etc. We went all over the city saying cease fire. We had a young brother that's a hell of an actor and in in one of the uh, major go-go bands in this city by the name of Glover, Big G. They put out the song cease fire. Don't smoke the brothers and sisters. And man, this was resonating. The gunplay started going down, man. This is why I brought up what I brought up to you. When they said, defund the police. <coughs> and all of a sudden, so the police, now everybody want to get the police everything they want again. Now, in the last five, six days, and I'm not putting this just all on the police, but this means under ceasefire, this means everybody needs to stop killing our babies, including ourselves. And we're just as tough on those that pull the trigger, but we understand that a lot of them are still lost with that self hate of the. <laughs> Right? And I'm saying, they got some good groups out here. But they're government groups. And behind it, the government groups, they can't get down and do what's necessary in the community to get, excuse me, to get to their people. Wow. Hold that thought right there, brother Al Malik Farrakhan. We've got to take another quick break. And family, if you haven't heard anything all day or all year, hope you heard just exactly how Brother Al Malik Farrakhan just mentioned. That was very, very powerful. Got a tweet from Gail, who's on her way to work in Temple Hills, and she's got a, a message for uh, Brother Al Malik Farrakhan. We'll get to that as well. You want to join this conversation, though, reach out to us at 800 7876 Your phone calls in four minutes at 26 away from the top. They are right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV. We're on FM 95.9 and AM. 1450 WOL reinformation is power. 
And good morning again, family. Habari Ghani, happy Kwanzaa. Ujima Cooperative Economics, our guest is from Ceasefire, Don't Smoke the Brothers and Sisters. His brother Alma Lee Farrakhan in Washington, D.C. They've been fighting the crime problem in our communities for decades. Before we go back to you, though, let me just remind you, coming up later this morning, you're going to hear from the Kwanzaa creator, Malana Karenga. Dr. Karenga will be here to discuss the origin, the symbols, and some of the rituals associated with the celebration of Kwanzaa. Before we hear from Dr. Karenga, though, gang intervention. Malik Spellman out in L.A. will break down the effects of gentrification in the black community. Also, tomorrow's Friday, the last Friday of the year, we'll give you a chance, a final chance for the year, to free your mind, think for yourself, and join us for our Open Phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. As I mentioned before, we left for the traffic, weather, and news update. Uh, Brother Al Malik, I got a tweet from a sister who's listening to so she says she listens to us every morning Temple Hills in Maryland. She says she wants to thank him. I'll just read it verbatim. Thank him for working to save our children. They are fixable. Look at Malcolm and all the, the brothers turn the other uh, turn the other lives around, turn their lives around. We can't give up on our children. And basically, I think that's the final uh, sentence that Brother Al Malik she says, we can't give up on our children. I'll get your thoughts. And thank you. And um, thank you, Gail, for listening to us. And thank you for sending this tweet in this morning. Well, I, I totally agree with Gil. You know, this is the problem, man, that, that those that have like minds that's in love with self and kind, that's going to do whatever they have to do. These are our babies, man. And each generation is born is greater than the generation that's before. Only we leave the peewees out, man. You feel me? And we got to put something in place to gravitate to the peewees. You know, uh, I think that, uh, I don't know what girl that is, but thank you, my sister. I appreciate it. You know, uh, you need more people like Rock Newman that first heard the ceasefire. He said that if he came anywhere near C5, what they told him, that he would have a bad reputation because they called me a terrorist, right? And Rock came and seen what we do and put his money up. See, <laughs> we started C5. There wasn't no money out there for this car. Now they're mm. throwing all kind of money out there. But that's where the pimping come in at, right? You feel me? It's not that you don't need money, but you can't get no money to save a life. That's got to be in your heart, you know? And the people that I deal with, Carl, are those that's been out there perpetrating like I used to. This is one of the advantages that I have had. Plus, I'm that father to so many of them. They didn't have a father call. So <coughs> we say that they ain't going to listen to no old person or no OG or whatever. There's no truth to that call. That's just another person that's working with the system to say we're not going to win this war. There's the passage in the Bible call. <coughs> Empower, excuse me. <laughs> Y'all please excuse me. In Proverbs, 
that says man can still dissatisfy his hunger's thirst. But if he's caught, he must pay tenfold of all what he had. But the person to be held responsible is the person wouldn't share and made him <coughs> and made him out of a thief. Then they're coming back with some of the same laws that we fought 20 years ago, Carl. Rock cocaine laws, right? A hundred times that for rock that you got for having the powder in the rock <coughs> comes from the powder. We don't make no planes. We don't bring that stuff in there, Carl. We don't make it. Right. But they flood it all in the neighborhood. You got so how, how, uh, let me interrupt for a second. So how do we get this information out, though, to, to our people, especially our young people? You say the young brothers are, are really now appreciating what you are doing and what you have done. But how do we get the message to those who, who are not in, in ear, earshot of what you're saying? Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute it, it just ain't that simple. It could have been. Do you remember... When Bush pulled this old election down in Florida. Right. And all the clerks went down there to, to, to whip his ass. Right? And all of a sudden, he said, I'm going back to Washington. I'm going to sign the interfaith agreement for the clergy. We used to we used to have some powerful clergies, man. Yeah. We don't have them no more. Why? Because they took some of that money. Hmm. So they can't speak out like they used to, Carl. You know, we, we gotta look at the whole thing. You know, her Belfarte, personal fit, a mentor of mine. <laughs> Jim Brown, personal friend and mentor of mine. Matter of fact, uh, you can go back uh, to Tina Rama back in 1996 when Jim, we was on the show, the Cease Five members. And that uh, Jim Brown called in and spoke about the work that we done first. Uh, which I didn't say because I, I didn't know we was going to talk about this. I thought we was going to talk about our free coke and toy drive for Kwanzaa, which was uh, going to be and still is on the uh, uh, last day of Kwanzaa, Faith, which is the first, and is geared towards ex-prisoners and they and their family and those that's in need, right? It's what I really, uh, initially, you told me we was going to talk about. And then the other day, you, you brought up about this, right? We're going to win this war, man. And we got to believe that this is our babies, man. I said when, when the earlier started talking, when Dutch Schultz and all of them did what they did, they made that folk hero. Al Capone, they got him in all kind of libraries and, and all that, man, archives and all that. 
we we do a few shootings because we always do that. Oh, we used to leave the doors open. There was a village that took everybody among the cell. Right? They closed the uh, segregation down <laughs> and came in with the integration. Now we don't have nothing that belonged to us in our own community. Harry Belafonte's favorite, I mean, uh, 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 one of his favorite slogans was, think outside of the box. We keep thinking government, government, government. But government has been responsible for the conditions that we're in. And these preachers, <coughs> God will chastise quite a few of them, man, because they abandoned their people. Just for a few little coins, man. And I love a lot of these preachers, man. Don't get me wrong. Don't you get me wrong. But I got to speak the truth to God. Your platform is a vehicle that reaches people all across the country. You should get credit for helping a lot of this that's been going on. Youngest hear your program and etc. and say, damn, because you're bold enough to speak out. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, that's fine. That's just part of the job. That's, like I said, each one of us has a role, you know, when we put it on this planet. And and I figured out early that this is my role. This is what I do. So it, I don't need the plaudits, but I'm just trying to help our folks. Uh, you're the one who's actually on the streets. You, you, your feet are on the ground. But you mentioned earlier, I want to talk to you something you mentioned earlier about some of the young brothers that you counsel. They, are no, they grew up without having a father in the home. How big of a problem is this, the disintegration of the black family where, where brothers are growing up with, without dads? Man, I was born myself. My father was in Alcatraz. He was part of the Marcus Garvey movement. You know, fighting for our rights. And they was throwing him in the pen. Not that he wasn't a bank robber, because he robbed banks. They helped free breakfast, free lunch, free Medicare, even way before the Black Panther started that. You know? I mean, <laughs> man, it's... it's uh, we're going to win this war. It's predicted in the Bible. In the beginning, 
to the end, we, the black man, was the first that made him last, and we're going to be first again, Carl. You know what, you know what, Brother Al Malik Farrakhan, and a lot of people believe that, and they, they think that's the reason why we're we're in this situation we're in now, because the other people, folks know that we're going to win, and they're trying their best to, to, you know, retard it or hold it down or slow it down. Is that something you, you believe in as well? Hey, Carl. People that did us wrong are so scared and thinking that we got get back on our mind. A lot of these brothers and sisters are doing what they do, even though it might be heinous killings, man. Jesus used Moses, and he was a killer. Used Paul. I mean, listen to what I'm saying, Carl. Right? They think that we going to put them in slavery the way that they did us. And nobody has been done worse than the black man and black woman here in America. And they got a, a you know, now just this uh, uh, is a word I want to use. Uh, but I... I, I uh, uh, hold that thought right there and when we come back we'll pick up on that because what you're saying is so true you know Nelson Mandela said this once he got released the, the, the biggest fear for the white South Africans was the black South Africans would treat them like how they treated them that was their biggest fear and it never happened so I want you to talk about that when we get back and also talk about the event that you're having on the last day of Kwanzaa as well for your group the group is called Ceasefire Don't Smoke the Brothers and Sisters our guest is the activist Al Malik Farrakhan from Washington D.C. as I mentioned we're going to take a short break and check the traffic and weather for our community this morning and the news also for our listeners in Baltimore. We'll be back in four minutes, though, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Barigani family, thanks for staying with us this morning. Happy Kwanzaa, Ujima, Cooperative Economics. We're speaking with our guest, uh, DC activist Al Malik Farrakhan from Seize the Fire, Don't Smoke the Brothers and Sisters, and uh, Malik Spellman, gang interventionist out in L.A., standing by. Before we go to Malik Spellman, though, let's wrap up with Al Malik uh, Farrakhan, Seize the Fire, Don't Smoke the Brothers and Sisters. The question I asked you, I think, before we left for the traffic and weather update was the fact that the the lack of, of a male presence in, in the homes of our, our, our black families. How, and you were explaining to us, uh, you know, if that is the cause of some of the problems we're seeing on the streets. It is, uh, Carl, right? You know, uh, everything now is about feminizing black men, you know, and, and masculinizing black women. You know, uh, we, we're, not, we're not following what's really going on, Carl. You know, a lot of us, we got the answer, but we just don't have the, the kahunis, as Minister Farrakhan say, to stand up in that gap, you know? And and uh, it's so important, Carl, but, but you, had, you said that I could speak about what's happening for the last day of Kwanzaa. Correct. Go ahead. Right? 
you know, we, we would appreciate if anybody would like to drop off some coats and toys, preferably uh, learning equipment uh, that youngins can broaden their horizon, uh, different books and things of that nature, bicycles. We would appreciate it if they would drop it off at ceasefire at 4708 14th Street, Northwest Washington, D.C., by Friday, uh, mostly all day Friday, up until about uh, 7 o'clock. And uh, uh, if they want to make a monetary donation, they need to call our accountant, which is Mrs. Jennifer Golson, at 202 six six nine eight eight six two if you have credit card or if you want to send a check send it to the address that I just gave right but we prefer if you would bring a item or items this year has been running a little slow and like I said it goes to men and women that has been in prison Carl and those most in need the population that we're truly, I mean, really reaching out to help. You know, if I had known uh, where we was going to go with this, uh, I would have spoke about a few other things. But I understand time is running out and, and give my love to my brother out in L.A. Because they're doing some good work out there, Carl. Right. And they're doing some good work. Over there, but I want to say this before we go. Anybody that's using the name Ceasefire, understand that that name is copywritten for us. That name is is uh, trademarked by us, and they're using it illegally. And government has stole the name. John F. Kennedy was the one originally in New York after we had done it that became uh, useful for him to get guns off the street. No two organizations can have the same name, Carl. And we're totally 100% legit because of Mary for Life, the Honorable Mary Bird, that had vision and understood the things that I brought to him, and he's the only merit that has ever done and allowed gang members to come in his office, call, and and, and do a ceasefire. Five of the worst gangs in this city at that time. And he met with him every Wednesday for six straight months, man. Hmm. Listen to what I'm telling you. Yeah. You know, so we don't have that today, this in office. You know, well, you we've got to figure it out, you know, you know, because we got to cut you loose, with brother Al Malik Farrakhan. But let's let's continue this conversation into the new year, because the problem still exists, and we're still going to need your help. But before we let you go, where again can people drop off their coats and, and their, their toys for, for our young people? At, at uh, forty-seven oh eight 
14th Street Northwest. That's the ceasefire headquarters community center and is also a museum. So if they've never been there, they need to stop through to get a bird. But they can do that from the hours uh, <coughs> starting tomorrow from 12 up to 7. All right. right. They can drop it all personally there. And then on the 1st, we'll be giving them out uh, starting at 11 until they go. We're actually gotcha. supposed to be 11 to 7. Right. And I want and to Andrew, let me thank you for what you do, man. Because, you know, a lot of people see the problems in our community and they just walk on by. They feel like they, they can't solve it. They can't contribute to helping solving the problem. But you saw the problem with our young people on the streets, the shootings, the gang uh, fightings that are uh, going on. And you stepped up uh, with Ceasefire, Don't Smoke, the brothers and sisters. Uh, I want to thank you. Go ahead. Carl, I want to say this real quick. I was that monster in the street, Carl. I'm one that, that put these youngins in the condition that they're in. And Allah blessed me to live, to come back to the street. And Minister Farrakhan called for stopping the black-on-black -black killing. Give him his property for putting that message out there. And thank you, Carl. Thank you. And thank yeah, thank you. W-O-L and tell Kathy I still love her. Miss you. All right. Thank you, Brother Al Malik Farrakhan. And keep keep up the good work, man, because we need you out there in the streets. So stay strong, brother. All right, family. Yes, sir. Thank you. It's 8 after the top there. Malik Spellman. Assalamu alaikum, Malik. Good morning. Welcome back to the program. Well, alaikum salam and happy Kwanzaa to you and your listening audience, brother. Thanks for having me. I know you heard um, Brother Al Malik Farrakhan what he did, and I'm sure you can you can you understand what he's doing because that's kind of work you've been doing out in L.A. Well, you're absolutely right, due to the fact that the Brother Al Malik Farrakhan is an individual who I've heard about, known about, and I respect his efforts because at some point I anticipate being on the status of a brother like that through the supreme wisdom that he has and the dedication that he has towards saving our youth, and he is a perfect example of the fact that it's never too late regardless of your background, and it's never too late and regardless of how people take you, whether they take you seriously or not. He keeps piping, so he's an inspiration not just to me, but to your listening audience as well as to the brothers and sisters around the United States and on the West Coast in particular. So let the Chocolate City know that uh, we support the Chocolate Factory. We support you, brother. And we'll make sure that everything that you do will be respected in regards to your copyright and the way that we use the term ceasefire. And thank you for the enlightenment on that. All right. Nine after the talk. Before we talk about gentrification, I heard from your friend, uh, Brother Dahoud, who you put us in touch with. And they, they used to call in on the program. They're in captivity. And a group of brothers out there in, in uh, we won't say which penitentiary in California, but they listened to the program. They figured a way how to listen to the program early in the morning. Uh, for them uh, and they would call in at times and somehow they found the burner phone 
and they locked him up in the shoe. So they, that's why they haven't called in for a while. I don't know if you if really what's going on there, Brother Malik. And they went on a hunger strike or something. But he, he sent me a message that uh, t- after the start of the year, I think they're coming out of the shoe. Have you heard anything else about Brother Dahoud and, and the brothers in captivity? Yeah, what they uh, I, I spoke with them recently in which they indicated first and foremost to send their true regards out to you and again, your audience. Uh, they have a new situation in which another brother has a water that cures cancer. And I'm going to get some uh, bottles of it here this Friday. It's being respected in other countries in Thailand and different locations that doesn't require the Food and Drug Administration to approve it, and it has good results. Uh, Dao is definitely in the Underground Railroad when it comes to trying to reach out and get the message about the atrocities that's being committed against brothers behind the wall, because I don't know if your listening audience is aware of the fact that behind the wall, you guys have no constitutional rights. And when your constitutional rights are taken from you and you're being controlled for, for decades upon decades by Confederates, then your mindset changes towards more anger, not just towards your people, but towards the fact that you didn't get the enlightenment you needed coming up in order to prevent you from being a prisoner in the 21st century, as well as seeing what's going on with your people and not being able to get to the streets and assist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll keep an eye on that. We'll look out for their phone call and their call because they got the phone number to call in. Anyway, let's 11 after the top of the hour. Let me turn your attention now to gentrification. We see it all over this country in our urban centers. Gentrification. Should we be concerned about gentrification, Brother Malik? Oh, definitely we should be concerned about gentrification due to the fact that uh, they're destroying historically black communities and they're making it where we're we're having this, again, this perpetual cycle of homelessness and incarceration and desperado moves in order to facilitate housing, food, clothing, and shelter, which is the three essential uh, elements for survival on this planet. And by the, 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 the token of time, of course, man is a manifest error and loss. But we see what happened with the gentrification and the Cabrini Greens in Colorado and Watts and different parts of Brooklyn, Manhattan and Queens. And once the gentrification comes, then the people that are the that are registered voters or constituents of someone that they believe in, they'll vote that person. In, and then consequently, you get voted out. Then the district lines gets changed. So it's not just the gentrification as in housing, the gentrification as in the cultural uh, the cultural removal of, of a group of people that's been there for, for eons, not to mention the fact that once you spread people out into different uh, communities and different tribes, there becomes discrepancies that are beyond our control. For example, again, the Cabrini Greens in Chicago and various locations around the United States, and not just in the United States, but there's gentrification taking place in Hawaii, with the fires, there's gentrification taking place in some parts of the diaspora in regards to uh, China taking over things. So it's not just a local issue, and it's not just an issue that requires them to remove us from our homelands or anything like that. Because you know, of course, we have a conversation of reparations on the menu, but then about repatriation of those who you took and stole and 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 and, and spread all over the earth like seeds. So it's not a good thing, gentrification, because it has multiple uh, layers in, in regards to how it affects not just us, but then the uh, white Americans as well, because you have a gentrification situation and then it, it peaks the crime rate, then have gun will travel. 
Right. Hold that thought right there. We're going to take a quick break, Malik. When we come back, because some people are, are, approve of gentrification because, you know, homeowners, they say, they, well, my, my, my home are pre- going to appreciate faster. My home's going to worth more with gentrification. What do you say to those folks? I'll let you spell out and help us out, too. How can we identify when you, the signs when gentrification is coming to our neighborhoods? Family, you want to join this conversation? I guess Malik Spellman, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes at 14 after the top they are right here in baltimore on 1010 wolb in the dmv we're on fm 95.9 and am 1450 wol where information is power Habarigani family, 21 minutes after the top of the hour on this third day of Kwanzaa, Ujima Cooperative Economics. Our guest is gang interventionist Malik Spellman. I neglect to tell them Malik is also a journalist and he works across all the platforms, uh, radio, TV, uh, newspaper, printing, magazine, he's, uh, podcasting. He does it all. And he works with, as I mentioned, he's a gang interventionist. He works with those uh, brothers and sisters that are on the margins. Because he sees a way that he thinks that everybody can be saved. And that's what he's been doing all, all his life. And right now he's uh, doing a series on gentrification. So before we left for the traffic and weather update, I was asking you, what are some of the signs? If we live in our neighborhoods now, if we're folks who listen to us in Detroit or Chicago, or, or Baltimore, and, uh, New York, Atlanta, and we see these signs popping in Washington, D.C., how, how, how can we tell these, hey, gentrification is on the move? Well, one way you're going to be able to tell, and, and again, uh, no pun intended, but I believe that is one of the most uh, prolific questions concerning gentrification that one can ask is like, how can you tell? And here in Los Angeles, and I'm quite sure they're around the United States, there was a company back in the 90s called Golden Feather that had a green and gold sign with a feather on it, and they were buying up all the houses in the community, pennies on the dollar. No one knew. Also, there was another campaign that was on a bus stop beside them in which they were sterilizing black women that were utilizing cocaine for $500. That also was part of that campaign, and I'll explain how they're they're connected. But uh, the way that you can detect gentrification is that there'll be a sudden spike in crime in your community within the first five years before the gentrification things like property crimes and stuff like that and small responses from the police and then the vilification of the youth within a certain region will just spike as well with unusual behavior like the utilization of syrup and pills and things of that nature that you guys never had and parents are not able to detect it because they're too busy, overwhelmed with their work and and other responsibilities. So what you see is you'll see someone of a different race or persuasion riding through your neighborhood on a bicycle with big backpacks on there as if they're going on some cross-country bicycling trip. But that's just to check out the terrain of the community. Then you'll start seeing the number one indication of a gentrifier is they'll have a dog that they adopt or they have a big, big dog because they know the fear that minorities and urban dwellers have for, for, for certain pets that are not familiar with dealing with people of color. And they'll have a big dog and they'll walk around the community to get familiar with it. Once they get familiar with it, I'm telling you, the number one sign is the crime spike, the unusual lack of response from the police department, the changing of the guard in the city council, and then you're going to see people of other races walking around with dogs. And all of a sudden, after that, here comes Starbucks. Once you see Starbucks and the removal of the local laundromat in the community, then you're in for a rude awakening. 
Is there anything we can do to stop this train, or is it just inevitable? It's, it's just going to happen. We're just going to have to figure out how to deal with it. Well, there is a way that you can stop it, and one of the ways that I've noticed in other communities, and I won't attach any race uh, indication to it, is that when a house becomes vacant in a predominantly uh, minority community, I would advise the community to purchase that house as a as a whole, as a collective, and then control the vibration like they do. Because what they do in their communities is that once you move in, then the flight becomes the white flight in other situations or the harassment from the police department. I bought a house once in Fontana, and the third day I was there, they had police cars just parked out front for no apparent reason. So you have to take a, a strong stance in your homeowners association, but you have to watch the children that come into your home that are new to the block because there's a lot of situations in which um, people move from other communities that are not familiar with it or they move from other communities because they had issues where they came from and they'll bring those issues with them and then they'll offset the the actual uh, cosmic make cosmetic makeup of that community, not just in in physical looks, but in the way that the children behave. So if you get the wrong influencer into your house, perfect example, one of my friends was a major drug dealer and uh, they, he lived in a home with his son and they moved a federal family next door to him in which the little boy was a federal agent too. So they got the little boy into his house in order to be able to give back information about him. And uh, that's how they befriended his friends. So you have to be really careful when you have your homeowners committee meetings, your churches and things of that nature, because the gentrifiers will be there. You mentioned houses and homes. Some people say well, they love gentrification because their their homes is going to appreciate. The value is going to go up in their homes that they own. What do you say to those folks? Well, I say that may be the case in some instances because when you have a situation in which labor is being utilized by people that are un-American in the sense that it doesn't make them bad, but they're not familiar with our culture and our rules and regulations and laws. And you can get those people to buy into, you know, buying homes and taking whole communities and changing the whole uh, uh, dichotomy of that community that, as it was before they came. So when you get that, then that comes with an employment component. It comes with banking. It comes with the census. It comes with all sorts of things that will allow them to have the power. But the, the, the offset of what they're attempting to do is once you displace a group of people from here to the Gaza Strip, the situation becomes so dire to where you see an increase in home invasions. So you won't live there comfortably. You'll see an increase in robberies as we see all over the United States follow home robberies. You'll see things that's unprecedented in the United States uh, in regards to um, how people are used to living. Yeah, and let me ask you this, uh, 27 at the top there, uh, uh, Brother Malik. We seem to often turn on each other when it comes to gentrification. As, as you mentioned, the, the crime rate goes up. How is that? How is how does that happen? How do they how do they do that? How do they make us turn on each other? Is or is we or is it the self hatred was already there, and whatever levers they pushed, pulled or pushed, we uh, some of our people just jumped to it. Explain that for us. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Well, when you have a group of people who have many moons of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, we've had this discussion before in this show, and then that PTSD consequently turns to ATSD, which is active traumatic stress disorder, and then your cognitive thinking compass becomes depleted. You have a situation left on your hand where you're damn near living with a savage. And as they say, what is a savage? A person that has lost all knowledge of self and living a beast way of life. And that's what you see on the streets today with the homelessness, with people eating out of the trash, defecating on themselves, and mental illnesses at an all-time high. So we have to protect ourselves in such a way that no one is bigger than the program. And we look out for one another because there's really, really no one going to look out for us. If you all aware of the fact that a Jewish woman who I believe resides in Burbank and um, she was in Israel at some conference, I believe. And she made a statement saying that the reason the biggest threat to Israel and myself, again, with many of my Jewish brothers and sisters from, from the Hebrew Israelites down to the Orthodox and Hasidic Jewish community disagree. Uh, she said the biggest threat to Israel would be the young, not the Al Qaeda not the Hamas or any of those entities, but the biggest threat to Israel. And as we support Israel and other entities as Palestine, because we're human people, we don't believe in any forms of war or any discrepancies. But she said the biggest threat to them would be the young black person in America, the young black Americans in the United States. So with that type of uh, conversation going on and scaring the mindsets of the people, then we're in for a rude awakening. So when you get that, and you throw all these poor people in one hole with no resources, no jobs, no education, the curriculum is bunk, and the threat of of, of death on a Well, hold up, though, right there, Malik. Why would she uh, attack our young people like that? What What's so... Is that just plain, straight-up, bold-faced, unadulterated, hated of, of young black men? How did she come to that? Well, it's easy to come to that conclusion. And all the things that I'm stipulating here, once again, does not, it's my own personal uh, study and research. It does not reflect yourself or your audience or your advertisers or sponsors or the network. So I want to make that disclaimer very clear. This is based on actual interviews and research that we've done on our own here in Los Angeles to try to make the world a better place. But when you got the head rabbi of a, of a country in Israel saying that, you know, monkey, blacks are monkeys. You got another situation where people are utilizing their religion and their statesmanship in order to say, well, the blacks are no longer included. They're not included in the plan of the future of this country and things of that nature. Those type of things resonate well with the already overwhelming amount of uh, spiritual abuse that people of color have had. I mean, I don't know if you're listening audience that are not of African-American descent, realize what it's like to wake up black every day with a good heart and have to go out into the world and continuously prove yourself and don't get the same results. You know how difficult it is for a black man or woman to, or anyone in an urban community to make it home every night or just to take out the trash 
I mean, I walked outside my apartment building on Christmas Eve, and I seen a trail of blood down the street that led to nowhere. So this is the type of trauma that our people are dealing with, compounded with slavery and psychological warfare and things of that nature, and it just pushes them over the edge, Carl. Yeah, let me uh, tell the audience just a 29 away from the top there. Yeah, family, uh, Malik works with, uh, he works with some of our young people, and some people call them gang members and gang bangers, but he works with them before and after they get in trouble. And a lot of times uh, when when they get shot down in the street, the, the LAPD will call Malik to t- go tell their parents that their child has been shot in the street. Have you had any of that recently? They called you and uh, want you to deliver the bad message? Well, Carl, since, you know, I get these messages all the time. If it's not from someone at an official capacity, um, it's due to the work that we do here at Like the Brother in Washington with Gang Intervention Prevention, and we're aware of all the stuff that goes on. And directly speaking, I mean, uh, technically speaking, the type of intervention prevention that I do is damn near like the prevention of genocide. If there was another word that describes killing your own people, I would attempt to use that as well. So... The things that we hear is not necessarily the overwhelming amount of just physical violence against people, but there's some concerns. For example, um, the average steak in a a local grocery store is like $18, but you got a woman who has three kids and two of them want to play football. I'm in a grocery store on Christmas Eve, and I see a sister, two or three or maybe five, and then with one, I see with one orange in her hand, and then she had a laundry bag the size of a of a, a, a two loads, but she was only paying at the scanner for the orange. So in other words, they were in there stealing. I literally asked the manager, like, why are you shutting one door? He said, because the overwhelming amount of theft is crazy. Go down to the CVS down the street. They're closing the door because they're like, yo, people walk up to us and just say, you know, I'm taking it. So the moral compass has been erased due to the fact that hope is no longer on the horizon and people feel that the people that they support in these political parties are not advancing to the level of consciousness to be aware of what the American people are suffering. And you see a lot of black men in the streets today from the streets in the hood are voting Donald Trump. And listen, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, can you explain that for us? Because you work directly with some of these young people. Explain to us why they are supporting Donald Trump. What do they know about Donald Trump that some of us don't know? Family, he want to join this conversation. I guess he's a journalist and he works out in L.A. His name is Malik Spellman. He's a gang interventionist as well. He works a lot with our young people. Our telephone number is 800-450-7876. away from the top. I'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95. 5.9 at AM 1450 WOL where information is power. Habari Ghani family, 20 minutes away from the top of the hour, the third day of Kwanzaa Ujima Cooperative Economics. And later this morning, we're going to speak with uh, Kwanzaa creator, Dr. Milana Karenga. He's going to t- uh, discuss the origin, some of the symbols, and some of the rituals involved in the Kwanzaa celebration. And tomorrow, of course, is Friday, the last Friday of the year. We'll give you a chance, another chance at least, to free your mind, think for yourself. Reach out to us on a part of our Open Phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. Eastern Time, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, and also in DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Before we left, uh, Brother Malik, I got a tweet for you, by the way, for, uh, from 
Ted, Ted says he knows you, so, but I'll read the tweet, the uh, tweet question actually after the, you answer the question about Donald Trump because you say some of our young people, and we've been hearing this and we don't know how true it is, but your thoughts on why some of our young people are supporting Donald Trump? Well, the reason that I feel, and this is just my personal uh, feeling, is due to the fact that America has created an environment through music, culture, and other entities to make people, and especially young people who are quite impressionable when they're young, to allow them to believe that crime and a, and a criminal and and aggressive behavior and an aggressive uh, characteristic is one of the behaviors that's accepted today. If you ever take a look at the movie advertisements or any films that we've all watched um, and seen advertising on buses coming through the ghetto, you always see some person that doesn't look like you with a gun uh, riding down the street chasing someone, an equalizer or something of that nature or some condoms uh, being displayed on a billboard or in a liquor store or things of that nature. When we were coming up, you had certain things in the window that stimulated the mental milk, bread, candy, you know, pictures and stuff that, that were allowing people to grow naturally. Nowadays, you have a situation in which young people are walking into liquor stores and grown people's conversations, the billboards in front of the store doesn't represent any sort of unity for the families. So Donald Trump has, has given them, you know, different opportunities through PPP and all these other artificially flavored uh, uh, opportunities. And when you have a, a situation where you can identify with something in someone that doesn't look like you and you've been influenced that they've been able to do these things and never get chased. I mean, in a movie, you've noticed that the, the person that does the killing, whether he works for the government, the movies or whomever, the police department or a criminal, they never get indicted. They never go to jail. So these kids are, are being taught things that are not real. It's artificial intelligence. So when you get someone like a Donald Trump and then you get Biden and that crew that does not look out for us, straight out, we're being gentrified, we're hungry, we're broke, and 100% dissatisfaction brings 100% change. So these are the reasons why the Democratic Party and its allies are shaking in their boots because the vilification of young people is not only coming from the mouth of people who are not familiar with our culture and the pressures that come with it, but also they're scrambling to get the vote of the young people in the streets, and this is a known fact, you can Google it, due to the fact that they're not uh, getting the response that they need. And I'm here to tell them a uh, public service announcement. I'm in the streets every day. And people that don't even know the the crimes of, of, of mental anguish that Donald Trump has caused or any other entity within that power has caused is going to really be interesting. And it's going to be it's going to be a long trail for him, Carl. They're not going to get these people back. It's not going to ever, ever happen. I'm in the streets every single day. I get calls from prison and the least likely of characters today that are in that demographic. They can vote are either going to sit it out or they're going to vote Donald Trump. It's just straight that simple. I think they dropped the ball. They're not talking about reparations. They're not talking about anything to get them out of this crisis of criminal activity. There's no businesses. I mean, when you see your vice president of the United States, who's a black woman who we respect and love, but she's posing with a picture in which she's talking about giving money to businesses, and then there's no one in the picture that's black. What does that say to young people who are on the Internet all day long? When they yeah. see some big entity balling and big But you know what? Let, let me share this with you. When you talk to them, you know, 
ask them, what's Donald Trump done? Has he spoke about reparations? What, what has he done for our young people? Is he, is he, what's he done for them? You know, we can find out all the negatives that Biden and the Democrats haven't done, but somehow we absolve Donald Trump and his crew from doing anything. They're not going to do anything for us, and they, they don't even mention reparations. Come on. But somehow because they're Democrats or they represent black folks, you know, we expect more from them, just like how we expect more from our own people. But for the others, we give them a pass. You give Donald Trump a pass and the Republicans about reparations. That will never even come up in their conversation. So when you speak to those young people, tell them to be just be fair and balanced, is still that, that phrase, and deal with them and ask them, but what, what are they doing? Have they, have they said anything they're going to do anything for black people? That's the question. But anyway, I want to move on because that's that's another that's for another discussion right there. I got a tweet, as I mentioned, uh, Ted sent this tweet. He says he knows you quite well. He's from L.A. And his tweet is uh, from Malik. He says, Malik, isn't it true that the way our black families were disintegrated was when the heads of our households, which is our mothers, started doing crack and we never recovered from that? Very good question, Ted, and I'm going to try to double down on these two uh, conversations that we're having within one in regards to uh, the Donald Trump and the crack cocaine situation. First and foremost, if I was to put myself, hypothetically speaking, as that young person that I was asked that question, what has Donald Trump done? My response would be, what has any person of Caucasian descent done for black folks in America, whether it be Democrat, Donald Duck, or anyone else. So they're going to say, man, it's a bird one hand and two in the bush. So it's the lesser of the two evils. No, it's just the fact of ignorance is bliss. Of course, we know that. But if you be honest with it, Carl, and I mean honest across the board, and I know you've always been that way. They do absolutely nothing for black people. Nobody. Nothing. I, I, I agree 100% okay. on that one. I keep saying that all the time. To, to, to <laughs> right. The only person that I've ever seen try to do something that in modern times here in Los Angeles within the next, within the past two years would be the mayor of Los Angeles getting homeless people off the streets. That's it. I don't see none of these big highfalutin Negroes with all the big watches and all the yeah. big houses. I don't see them looking at Madeira on the bus stop sleeping that used to own properties and was a registered voter and paid taxes and we stole oranges out of our yard. I can't get over that. So until someone shows me what someone has done that's effective that we can touch and see, then I'm not going to accept that. Right. And I agree totally with that. Let me, let me ask you this, though, because you, you, your bear is tackling the homeless problem out in Los Angeles. We have a, we have a homeless problem just in every major city. And well, I think maybe a year ago, we were, some sisters, some elderly sisters were sleeping on the streets in Baltimore. And man, that's that's just in the cold. You know, L.A. at least is is kind of warm, so it's it's not as the problem is not so, as acute in the colder climes, or whether it be in Baltimore, D.C., New York, or Chicago, Detroit, and those areas. What is she? What is uh, the mayor doing? Can you can you share with that what she's doing for the homeless? Well, one thing the mayor is doing is she's housed several families, and she's giving hope to people who may want to get a voucher to get a place, and she's trying to expedite the building of homes as fast as she can, as well as tackle the crisis of crime and immigration that takes place in our city and dealing with the, the allies that, that are in City Hall who come from the old guard who insist on doing things the way they used to do. So I'm quite sure in some of her private meetings, there's been some real screaming and yelling about the fact that we need to get something to the black community, which has been redistricted, redistricted around the world 
and 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 this place and this place. And, and Carl, it's serious. It's not just here. It's it's in Washington. It's in Chicago. It's in Baltimore. And it's all a result of gentrification. So it has to go back to who is the gentrifier and why. Look here in the city of Inglewood, for example, with SoFi Stadium and the Forum and all those places. Rent here, man, is high as stardust. And the people can't afford it. And these are traditionally black communities. And it's not because people are moving in of other races. No, black folks just can't afford to move here. So they've been pushed out to the fault lines in Fontana and various places. But back to the uh, other statement, Madeir is at the bus stop is a phrase that I use to try to convey the fact that I've never seen so many seniors at the bus stop living in utter squalor, squalor, if that is the term, with roaches and rats and people that have a blatant disregard for them. And it's not just like Baltimore, you see a few. We have thousands upon thousands of black women here in Los Angeles that are homeless. Now, the homeless crisis here is so crazy. When you combine that with the immigration situations and the crack cocaine and the violence and all that, we had a situation where a little sister in Blair Hills, 12 years old, some transient, two weeks ago or less, went into her home, uh, uh, violated her in the middle of the night, all night, and she woke up and told her parents, she's a black girl. Hmm. Wow. I don't see that on national news. This is yeah. a transient coming off of La Cienica up in the Blair Hills. And as I know it, now they haven't caught him. Then we had another situation where they had where the black sisters was coming up dead downtown. So the trauma, Carl, that's constantly shown on the news. And speaking of news, I was interviewing with KCAL Channel 9, and I wish just one of your callers would call him and ask him, why did you guys interview Malik for nine months straight? And Pat Harvey, I'd like to ask you this kind sister, because you remember me for many years from 1992, and KCAL, you just got rid of a racist news director, and you put the brother in. But they interviewed me for nine months straight, sent me out in the story, assured me the job, only to offer me a job saying, hey, Negro, if you see anything happening in the news on, on the streets that's newsworthy, send it to us. We'll maybe give you 80 bucks. So if someone can call KCAL and say, why don't you guys stop professing to be the local channel that tells everyone's story, and then we can't get our story told unless we're breaking in stores, robbing, home invasions, and things of that nature. And there's other reasons why I know I wasn't hired, but I'll save that for another show. But you can best believe it's prevalent throughout the news business. Yeah. And, and did like you talk to Pat? You, t you spoke to Pat Harvey about that? No, absolutely not. And I don't think I'll ever speak to Pat on that because I've inboxed her and things of that nature. And if she's aware of it, um, I don't think there's much she can do. I was told by reliable sources that the head brother that's running it now, that's the top dude, wanted to see me on. And then uh, this woman, Angela uh, something, and the news director, I mean, it broke my heart. It literally sent me into a depression because our young people rely on these type of images. And I can tell their stories and then I can make corrections when they try to say we're a bunch of wild Negroes breaking in the Fendi store. Absolutely not. So to the future journalists that's out there that's African-American or whatever, don't even attempt to be a part of these people's program because you're the wrong selection because you're the wrong complexion. All right. Uh, seven minutes away from the top of We'll come on a break real quick, but Charles has a question. Charles, can you make the question real quick? Online one? 
Oh, he decided not to ask. Okay, Charles stepped down. All right, Charles, thank you, though. Anyway, let's take the break, and we come back and wrap up with Malik. Six minutes away from the top of the hour. Uh, we'll be back in four minutes. We're going to check the traffic and weather in our different cities and the news for our listeners in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL, where information is power. Good family, and happy Kwanzaa. This is the uh, third day of Kwanzaa Ujima, Cooperative Economics. Uh, momentarily speaking with Dr. Karenga, but let's continue with uh, Brother Malik Spellman. And, and Malik, you know, you talked about uh, Donald Trump and black Americans. Uh, someone in, in the break sent me an article, and I, I text it to you, and anybody else can, uh, it can, can Google it as well. It's Trump's policies have hurt African Americans. And it goes all the way, every, and it's very specific, you know, economy, education, criminal justice and it breaks down how Trump worked to make life harder for defendants and the imprisoned. So the person wanted me to share this with you, Brother Malik, so that you, you could share with those brothers that you deal with in the streets. But what are you working on now? What, what sort of stuff are you working on right now? Well, currently I've been uh, on, on a, a podcast or two called Gangster Chronicles in which we are trying to repackage the reputation of brothers in the streets of Los Angeles. So we'll put together a star-studded group of individuals that are of different demographics in order to personify that image through our conversations on the show. So consequently, um, I've been doing that. and It's been getting a lot of sharing and a lot of reviews on it because we're really speaking from our hearts and not from some angry position. And that would be found on a, a site called Smooth Cut Productions. So if you're listening to audience, would share your... Um, your attention, I'd appreciate it if you get it on because we're trying to raise money and do things that are unprecedented. And again, keeping in mind that we are the influences of the world due to the fact that we're here on the West Coast and we're going to repackage our whole persona as a whole through a, a show called The Last Supper, which will have 12 tribes represented. And we'll talk about things that don't consist of, of cuz, toe, cuz, or blood, toe, blood, or anything angry, but we'll be talking about progress and how we can uh, unite our people and make that influence from here to Chicago. All right. 800-450-7876. Let's go to line one. Brother Uhuru wants to, has a question for you. Yeah, peace and blessings, brother. I enjoy your work. Keep up the good work. Uh, I couldn't think of a better day of cooperative economics, of putting our pennies together. My question to you is, in terms of gang violence, what can we do to keep the gang violence at a minimum? Uh, in most cases, we like to blame everything on the white man, but what can we do to work together as one? And thank you for, for your salutation. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The 
McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba da ba ba ba. Carl, one of the things that we can do is keep in mind that brothers in the streets are not sitting around, and I want to make this very clear. They're not sitting around blaming things on the white man. Things understood need not be spoken. We know how we got in this condition, and we're looking at it from a retroactive perspective long before A.D. We're looking at it with the Ottoman Empire and beyond. So it's not a situation in which we're angry or we blame it on the white man and don't want to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. But one of the key ingredients that I found that when you get it, a youngster in a neighborhood that has a lot of influence, And if you can have enough love in your heart and enough courage as black men and others to pull that youngster to the side and give him some instructions on how to make sure the other dudes are safe. For example, I've done this in the past where I take one youngster who's the leader of one and say, man, you know, these dudes aren't built like you. They're not made for this. Make sure they stay in school. Make sure they stay off Miss Johnson's grass. You know, make sure they stay away from the police, yada, 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 stay out of trouble. And then you can throw them a couple of dollars if you got it. And just a little respect will go a long ways. And one quick other way that you can do it, when you see a group of youngsters in a pack, and you may recognize one that's the major influencer, you don't just walk up to him. You wouldn't walk up to Biden. You wouldn't walk up to Trump. You wouldn't walk up to any of those people. So you walk up to the people that are around them that are the, that are the people that are subservient in a sense, you know, because they're all equal. And if you respect the smoker that runs to the store, you respect the one that want to be that's a want to be the shooter, and then the commander. Then you shake his hand last. You come out better. But if you come into a group of youngsters and you walk up to the leader, having a conversation, and really don't pull him to the side without respecting his crew then their opinion of you when you leave is going to be, you know what, screw him. We don't want him to do it. So there's different strategies on this, and you have to spread good rumors. Sometimes you may have to say, hey, this street over here, I want to do peace with this street over here. It may be a good lie. So you have to get in good trouble. Good trouble. Thank you, Brother Malik Spellman, and thank you for sharing what you do. And thank you for telling us about gentrification. And, and before you go, how can folks, if folks want to reach you, how can they reach you? Well, one of the ways that they can reach me is to ask uh, our PayPal why they do that to us. And then if you can really tap into Smooth Cut Productions and see some of the interviews that we've done and anticipate doing them, then when the show The Last Supper comes out, if you support that, and of course support the Carl Nelson Show and its sponsors and the people that help bring it to us. And keep in mind that my opinion does not reflect anything that's on any political agenda, whether it be Democrat, Republican, or Independent. I'm a first, second, and fourth amendment type person, and my ancestors died to make me an American. All right. Thank you, Malik. Thank you for the work that you've done all these years with our young people. Thank you, Carl, and I wish I could equal the work that you've done over the years, man. I'm quite sure you can't wait to be able to sleep throughout a whole day and not have to do this. So we salute you, brother. If there's anything that we could think of on this planet to give you your flowers or something that goes on, let us know, because the whole state of California love and respect you. All right. Thank you for those kind words, Malik. Six Welcome minutes after the top of the hour, and that was Malik Spellman, who's a gang interventionist based in L.A. Let's turn our attention now to Dr. Milana Karenga. Habarigani, Dr. Karenga. Habarigani, Carl. Happy Kwanzaa and Ujima for today. And Habarigani to you. Let me ask you this. Did, when you started this, did you envision that it would take off like it is? I've, I've seen people celebrating Kwanzaa all over the world. Did, did you yes. think it would grow that big? 
They're celebrating them all over the world, as you said, on every continent in the world, throughout the world African community. So, no, I, I always say to people when they ask me that, I'm not a prophet, so I couldn't predict. But I believe that if I could create something of value uh, that served the interests of the people, advanced our struggle, and gave people values, a value system, a vision uh, of what could be done, uh, basic principles by which they could ground their lives, orient themselves, and direct their lives toward good and expansive ends, they would embrace it. And it would spread, but I did not know how far it would. But I was hoping it was for all African people because that's one of the main reasons I created it, uh, to give African people all over the world um, a time to come together, reaffirm the bonds between them, and meditate on the awesome meaning of being African in the world. The fathers and mothers of not only humanity, but of human civilization, sons and daughters of the Holocaust of enslavement, authors and heirs of the reaffirmation of our Africanness and our black radical social justice and liberation tradition of the 60s. So we were hoping that, you know, people would embrace it, and they have. And I, I'm forever grateful to black people how they have embraced it and use it as part of how they understand and assert themselves in the world. Yeah, we, we should embrace it at 365 every single minute, uh, uh, some of the, the symbols and some of the rituals and of Kwanzaa as well. But before we go into that, though, we had a call yesterday, as a matter of fact, from one of our Jewish listeners in Baltimore, and he says there are a lot of similarities between Hanukkah and and uh, uh, and Kwanzaa. He, he didn't say rip off or steal or anything, but just a, a lot of, he was kind with his words. He's, yeah, I noticed that. He said similarities. What, what would you say to that that person? Because he says he couldn't call in today. Jabo, so uh, when, when he says similarities, what does he mean? You know, there's general human similarities, but the particularity is ours. So what, do you remember some of the things that he said was similar? No, he didn't go into the, what was similar, but I, I think it means like like the the, the candle, the canara. Ah, the, thank you so you could, much. I'm glad yeah. you said that because, see, what hap- what feeds that kind of uh, understanding? And first of all, two things. First of all, what feeds that kind of uh, thinking is that sometimes black people in a hurry or accepting what's on the internet and what Microsoft does, they do a Jewish menorah. So, yes, those people who use that Jewish menorah are, in fact, born from and accepting from Microsoft and the rest of those people that do that, they're doing the menorah. But, you know, we have different candles. And what is the menorah? It's a branch. It's a tree branch, right? And it's usually a U-form. Sometimes it might be square, but it's a U-form, right? And it looks like a branch. And black people, a lot of times, not a lot of times, many times black people, um, use that out of convenience or they don't know. And that's like spread around on the Internet. And I always tell people, don't do that. It violates the tradition of Kwanzaa and of Hanukkah, right? Because that's what they mainly are referring to a lot of time, right, is that. So let me tell you this about Kwanzaa. Kwanzaa, I think because we drew from, when I created, I drew from the best of African thought, sensibilities, and practice. And so it, um, it has two characteristics to it, like other major messages or great messages, a particular and a universal. So Dr. King's message, Anna Julia Cooper's message, uh, 
Nana Harriet Tubman's message, all the great black people have two aspects to their message, particular and universal, particularly because it comes from the people themselves. It is marked by it. So it's the same with the, with the, with the major religions that we know, uh, whether it's Judaism or Christianity or Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or Ma'at or Ifa, uh, African tradition. They speak first to the people that created this message or, or that that message came from afar, right? So, but because, and, and it, it bears the marks of their culture, right? But because it has in its principles that speak not only to the best of what it means to be that people, but also the best of what it means to be human, then other humans can embrace it. So even though uh, Christianity starts in Palestine, right? The Palestinians are the first Christians, right? Never, and so it marks that. It has Jewish elements, Palestinian elements, but at the same time, it has things that everyone can agree to about speaking truth and doing justice, right? Because even that, we say that in our own our culture, in Mat, which is my tradition, Kawita Mat, you say, speak truth, do justice, right? Justice, doing justice is breath to the nose, we teach, right? So, yes, anybody can find a commonality with that. The true, speak truth, do justice, be kind, right? Do not do evil. Everybody can agree with that. And this comes from African culture. So it's specific to the African people in the Nile Valley, but it's also true in uh, Yoruba, which says, speak truth, do good, do not be evil. For those who do righteous are favored by the divine. Okay, so everybody could embrace that, but that is from Yoruba tradition. That's from Ifa tradition, and we have to recognize that. So things are from Jewish tradition, and people can say, oh, that's Jewish, but I, I accept it. I see that, and that's what has happened. Black people become Buddhist for the same reason. They, they're not from China, and they're not, they don't, they're not Chinese, right? But they can see something in Buddhism that they can embrace. But we should never collapse. We always maintain the integrity of each tradition. And I tell African people all the time, don't use Jewish menorahs. Don't bring in accretions like Santa Claus and bulbs and all those things that come from a different culture. It violates the integrity, beauty, and expansive meaning of Kwanzaa when people do that. So, All right. Hold that thought right there, Dr. Karan. We've got to take a quick break here. We're going to take another quick break and check the traffic and weather. And we come back and hopefully you break down the origin of Kwanzaa. Also tell us about the symbols, some of the rituals that we should be embracing during this Kwanzaa season. Family, you want to join us? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Call up a couple of your friends and tell them that Dr. Milana Karanga is on the radio. He's explaining Kwanzaa. If they don't know about Kwanzaa, this is a lesson they're going to learn today. And we'll be back in four minutes with Dr. Karanga right here in Baltimore on 1010. WOLB, free in the DMV, run FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour, Dr. Milana Karenga. Most of you know they created Kwanzaa, but there's more to Dr. Karenga. Let me just give you a, a couple of sentences of what Dr. Karenga is all about. He's currently a professor right now, as we speak, as the chair of the Department of Africana Studies at Cal State Long Beach. He's the creator of the Pan-African Cultural Holiday, Kwanzaa, as most of you know, and the Nguzu Saba, the Seven Principles, and the author of the authoritative text titled Kwanzaa, a celebration of family, community, and culture. He's an activist scholar. He's chair 
chair of the organization US, the National Association of Kawaida Organizations, and the executive director of African American Cultural Center and the Kawaida Institute of Pan-African Studies. He's also chair of the Black Community Clergy and Labor Alliance. Dr. Karenga is also the author of numerous scholarly articles and books, including Essays on Struggle, Position, and Analysis, Kawaida, The Questions of Life and Struggle, Ma'at, The Moral Ideal in Ancient Egypt, A Study of Classical African Ethics, Introduction to Black Studies, 4th Edition, Huisa, The Sacred Wisdom of Ancient Egypt, The Udi Ifa, Ethical Teachings. He's also currently writing a major book, uh, major work rather, on the social and ethical philosophy of Malcolm X. His title, Liberation Ethics of Malcolm X, Critical Consciousness, Moral Grounding, and Transformative Struggle. Dr. Karenga is a recipient of numerous awards for scholarship, leadership, and service, including the Paul Robeson Zora Neil Hurston Award for Scholarly Work of African World Culture and the CLR James Award for Outstanding Publication of Scholarly Works that Advance the Discipline of Africana and Black Studies and the Presidential Award for Exemplary Service and Outstanding Contributions to the Field of Black Studies. All of this from the National Council for Black Studies. It's also the subject of a book by Dr. Malefi Asante titled Malana Karenga, an intellectual portrait. Also, he wrote the Million Man March Manifesto for Minister Farrakhan for the Million Man March. So that's the person we're dealing with this morning, Dr. Malana Karenga. So, Dr. Karenga, I'll let you finish your thought. And then if you can tell us how, the, how, how Kwanzaa came about, how it came up with, with this idea and why. I want to, if I may, I wanted to finish that thought about sure. what the, uh, your Jewish guest had. And one of the things we can do with this conversation about similarity, we can use it as a positive or negative. We can use it as a negative by arguing that black people borrowed from Jews rather than Jews borrowing from black people. For example, we could say, uh, we can say that we are the first people to offer the concept that humans are in the image of God. Sending nature is the Egyptian word for it. Oldest text that we have. Uh, in ethics and spirituality, the Husia. And we can say also that they borrowed from us, all the people, white people in general, borrowed from us the concept of shepesu, an inherent worthiness called dignity, uh, which is has three characteristics. It's transcendent of all um, social and biological categories like race, class, gender, sexuality, age, ability, etc. It's equal in all, and it is inalienable. It's inalienable, right? So we could either say that or we could say, okay, we developed it first, but y'all developed it independently or, or, or we could have had an influence, but you have your own particularity. I never tried to replace people's own, own culture, right? So I can create a dialogue of mutual respect or I can um, pretend that I'm the origin, like white people a lot of times do, that they're the origin of everything, including the air, and we should be thankful for breathing, right, from them. But what I think is the positive of it is that if we have mutual respect, then these similarities that we can see would be evidence to us of common, the common grounds of our humanity and our human sensibilities, thought, practice, and aspiration for good in the world. Second, it could be a basis for us building respect for each other for our equal humanity, our equal rights, and our cultures and intellectual traditions. We learn to respect those. That's why we fought here in California to get this law, AB 1460, authored by Dr. Shirley Weber, a colleague and uh, uh, co-worker in a lot of things. I used to teach in her department when she was in San Diego. She's Secretary of State now, but 
she was assemblywoman and, and pushed through this bill uh, that we worked on uh, together. And and everybody, uh, all the ethnic groups fought for it, where it becomes mandatory for the 500,000 students that graduate each year from the Cal State system have to take an ethnic studies class to graduate, a black studies, Native American uh, Chicano, Latino, Asian studies. So that, and the third thing and last thing it could do is be the basis for building and pursuing a, a common agenda for to to build a good, a just and good society and world. One that we all want, deserve, and struggle so hard for. And so I want us to talk about similarities and differences, but always with respect that we have our own intellectual tradition. We have our own cultures, and they are worthy of the highest respect. And I always tell my students every time we, in my classes when I first start, you know, the first day of orientation, I say everyone has a, a voice here, an equal voice, because I see each people and culture as a unique and equally valid and valuable way of being human in the world. Each culture and people is a unique and equally valid and valuable way of being human in the world. There's no superior inferior here. So let's speak. Let's speak truth, the truth of our own experience, the truth of our own culture and our own intellectual traditions here. And that's how we find common ground, right? Respecting each other. If we don't respect each other in all our diversity, then guess what? We can't even talk. So I wanted to say that. So now if I can move now to the origin of Kwanzaa. So Kwanzaa was created in the midst of the black freedom movement, right? It's, we have to say that. Sometimes people, when they write the history, uh, Carl, they, uh, they say the watch revolt. Uh, sometimes they say right, but the watch revolt. Yeah, that's that's a critical piece in it. But the reality is it's in the process of the black freedom movement, and it's in the black power phase. A lot of times people want to reduce the black freedom movement to the civil rights movement, but that's just the first phase of the black freedom movement. That is 55 to 65. In 66 and 65, we began to rethink mm, about the civil rights issue, right? And we built on the teachings of uh, Nana Haji Malcolm, right? And Haji Malcolm said that we can't be just fighting for civil rights. We have to fight for human rights. Civil rights is what the government grants you, but human rights is what you have as when you're born. He said they're your God-given rights, your natural rights, right? It's natural to be free. It's natural to have justice. Those other things that white people are talking about and that they're trying to deny us they're denying actually our human rights, our right to freedom of expression, our right to just be free and to have justice and to live a life uh, without worrying about our security, security of person or security of economic grounding and having that kind of security. So there's a right to life, and with it comes the right uh, uh, of, of those things that sustain life. And that's why, like, I, I, I study, you know, one of my fields is, ancient Egyptian ethics, and so Matian ethics, and I developed an ethical uh, uh, um, approach of seeing uh, our African cultures as providing options, ethical options, for dealing with every problem that we confront today. And so it's in that black freedom movement where all this is going on. The second phase, of course, is the black power phase. And I said the, <laughs> the civil rights phase is 55 to 65, the black power phase is from 65 to 75, and it's in that context that it creates uh, Kwanzaa. I was at UCLA uh, in 19, 
uh, six to five, and I left. I was working on my doctorate, and I wanted to contribute to the movement. So when I talk about and ask people, people ask, why did I create Kwanzaa? What was the reason? The first reason was to contribute to uh, the Black Liberation Movement. How could I build something that would help advance the struggle? And Haji Malcolm, uh, who influenced us so much, uh, he said we need a cultural revolution and that we need to, in fact, ground ourselves in African culture. We need to reach back and retrieve it, what we call now Sankofa, right? To reach back, retrieve it, recapture, he said, our heritage, right, and our identity. Or we can never, he said, break the bonds of white supremacy. Those are his words. We can never break the bonds of white supremacy unless we recapture our history, our heritage, and our identity as African people. And even if we don't go back physically, We've got to go back culturally, psychologically, spiritually. We've got to be ourselves. And so we developed from that, that there are two aspects to our liberation struggle, the struggle to be ourselves and to free ourselves. And so how do I help us to be ourselves? And then that's the second reason I created Kwanzaa, to return to our own history and culture, to reaffirm our Africanness, right, that we are African people. We don't lose our identity by boat ride, right? I don't care how, what circumstance, we don't lose it. Everybody else remains who they are when they come here. Japanese, Chinese, the rest of it, right? So how do we lose ours, right? And then the first, as you know, when we first got here, we called ourselves African. The oldest, one of the oldest institutions, if not the oldest institution we have, is the African Methodist Episcopal Church, right? The AME, right? We call ourselves Africans at the beginning. But now, of course, we had to go through stages to get back to it, so now uh, we're back to it. So I wanted to come back to our culture <clears throat> because, as I said, <clears throat> the Holocaust of enslavement lifted us out of our own culture and made us uh, uh, an object in white people's culture. They, In fact, what they did was objectify us. They made us objects of labor, of sex, and entertainment, took away our name so that we're just slaves. We're not enslaved Africans. We're mainly slaves, right? And so we don't exist as human beings, full human beings. And so what we do is return to our history and culture, speak the best of what it means to be African, and use that to expand and enrich our lives, to create an expanding realm of human freedom uh, in this country and the world. And then the third reason I created Kwanzaa was to, in fact, <clears throat> uh, give us a time a context in time, or a time in context, in which Africans, black people, all over the world could sit down, come together, come together, reaffirm the bonds between them, and sit down and meditate on the awesome meaning of being African in the world. What does it mean to be African in the world, to be the fathers and mothers of humanity and human civilization, the sons and daughters of the Holocaust of enslavement? the authors and heirs of the reaffirmation of our Africanness and our black radical tradition of social justice and liberation in the 60s. What kind of obligations does that put on us? Our, our foremother, uh, uh, Fannie Lou Hamer, said there are two things we should all care about, never to forget where we came from, and always praise the bridges that carried us over. She wants us to look back. Look back in our history and ask what kind of obligation this imposes on us. That's why we always say in our organization, uh, we always say in Kawi the philosophy, this is our duty. 
to know our past and honor it, to engage our present and improve it, and to imagine a whole new future, and to forge it in the most ethical, effective, and expansive way. And so right. when I say... Well, hold that thought right there, Dr. Crane. We're going to take mm-hmm. another short break here and check the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. I'll let you pick it up when we get back. Family, call up a couple of friends and tell them that Dr. Milana Karenga is on radio. If they think they know about Kwanzaa, and well, this is the way I created it, and you're going to learn a lot about what Kwanzaa is all about. Some people say it's a holiday. I'll ask him that if it's a holiday or a celebration. How do we discuss Kwanzaa? If you go out with your other friends, especially white friends, and ask about Kwanzaa, you better have the, have the receipts. You can get the receipts right here from Dr. Karenga. We'll be back in four minutes at 26 away from the top. They are right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB in the DMV. We're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And good morning, family, and thanks for rolling with us this morning. Habarigani, I should say. This is the third day of Kwanzaa. Moja, Ujima, I'm sorry, Cooperative Ujima. Economics. Ujima, the man who made all this up, is with us, Dr. Milana Karenga. We'll get back to him in a moment. Let me just remind you, though, that tomorrow is Friday, the last Friday of the year, and we'll give you another chance to free your mind. Think for yourself and join us for our Open Phone Friday program again promptly at uh, 6 a.m. Eastern Time right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. Thank you for the correction, Dr. Karenga, and I'll let you continue. Yes. No, yes, and I was just saying, uh, also, remember we said, I didn't make this up. I created it as an intellectual project, so thanks so much for that. And I appreciate that. And I wanted to say, Carl, uh, again, uh, because sometimes we get going so fast we don't do it, but I want to um, praise you as everyone else has praised you on your, on your program for giving us the space to talk like this and to have this elevated and varied conversation and how you open the mic for people to talk. and sometimes. You know, we might not always say, um, you know, the most deep things, but you give us a chance to say what we feel and what we think is important for black people. And that's rare. You know, we still have a lot of black stations, right? But you have, and, and they were systematically shut down, but you have continued, but you have not only just continued the tradition, you've advanced the tradition. And that's so important to us. And as 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 culture, revolutionary culture nationalism, that we say we inherit a tradition to actually extend that tradition, to add something to it, and to tell the next generation, add something to this most ancient and beautiful tradition. And this tradition of talk radio, you certainly have enlarged that and expanded that. And I just wanted to stop to say that in the midst of that. That's one of the things we should do during Kwanzaa. It's praise the good. Raise up and praise the good. Mm-hmm. Oh, thanks for the kind words, Dr. Karanga. But let's let's keep it moving. Let's. Uh, I'll let you All continue because right. that's and what we're here for. So I was saying that. Thanks so much for that. I was talking about how I want to provide 
a Pan-African context and time for black people all over the world to come together and um, reaffirm the bonds between them and meditate on the awesome meaning of being African in the world. And we're supposed to do that all during the holiday, but on January 1st, the day of meditation, we're supposed to sit down and think about, reflect deeply on what it means to be African. And we're supposed to measure ourselves in the mirror of the best of our culture, thought, sensibilities, and practice. And we're supposed to ask ourselves three questions and answer those. Who am I? Am I really who I am? And am I all I ought to be? Who am I as an African? Not just as a person, but who am I in the context of my history and culture and the best of what it represents? Am I there? Second, hmm, am I really who I am? None of friends for known say we often wear the mask. We wear the mask to be accepted. We wear the mask so we won't be penalized and punished for our color or for our culture, right? And so what we need to do is ask, are we really being who we are? Are we being ourselves so we can free ourselves? Because we always say we need to be ourselves in order to free ourselves. If we don't be ourselves, we can't free ourselves. But we know that we can't fully be ourselves until we fully free ourselves. So it's always an interrelated and interactive process of being ourselves so we can free ourselves and freeing ourselves so we can fully be ourselves, that is, coming to the fullness of ourselves, flourish. And so the last question is, am I all I ought to be? So who am I? Am I really who I am? And am I all I ought to be? These are Kawaita questions for Kwanzaa. And when you say, am I all I ought to be? Do I dare to do the best of what it means to be me and African and human? Or do I just accept them, the moderate? Am I satisfied with the C? You know, where's my mother and father used to talk to that. We can't be satisfied with the C. I remember I brought home a C, and my mother said, what is that? And I'm thinking, well, maybe she doesn't know the grade grade. So I'm sorry. She said, I know that. Why do you have it? See, what is this, right? So we have to strive for excellence in everything we do. Strive for excellence in everything we do. And so it's very important for us to always ask ourselves, am I all I ought to be? Am I representing the best of what it means to be African and human in the fullest sense of the world? And, you know, I came up in a time when people used to always say, and this is another inspiration for the creations I've done and the writings I've done, is that... uh, uh, mother and father used to say, always do something good for the race. We always were taught that because we were under siege then. We didn't, we didn't have these other things where we, you know, have people making billions of dollars and, you know, hobnobbing with the white people. We lived in a segregated situation. We were under siege. We were in battle. We knew our battleground. Haji Malcolm says to us, wherever black people are, there's a battleground. There's a better, better line. And whether we're in the east or the north, the west, pardon me, whether we're in the east or uh, whether we're in the north or the south, the east or the west, you and I are living in a country that is a battle line for all of us. And that's how we thought. Even if we didn't have those words that Haji Malcolm gave us, we nevertheless knew that. And we had to be better than everybody. We had to be twice as good to get a job, to do this, to be, to do this. So we strove toward excellence. Dr. Mary McLeod, 
is another person, Haji, and Mary McClever, ha, Haji, uh, Nana, Mary McClever, doing is another person that stressed that education for excellence, right? And so I think it's very important for us to see that. So finally, uh, I, I, the fourth reason I created Kwanzaa, after creating it to advance the struggle, to assist, second, to assist black people in returning to our own history and culture, and also providing a space, a context, and time for African people to reaffirm the bonds between them and meditate on the awesome meaning of being African in the world. The last one is introducing Guzo Saba and communitarian values as a fundamental way uh, to understand ourselves and assert ourselves in the world. Communitarian values are those values that stress community, right? I am because I'm related and relate. I am because we are. I think of myself in context all the time. I grew up thinking of myself and my family at the same time and what I owed them and my ancestors before me because they always talked about how much our people had suffered and sacrificed to advance us so we can't miss opportunities and we can't squander the wealth of culture that they have given us and, and the models and mirrors they offer us in their lives. We can't. We can't, we can't turn our back on that. So I grew up with that kind of push, right? And so I created the Nguzo Saba first in 1965, and I created uh, Kwanzaa in 1966. And Kwanzaa became a way to introduce not only the Nguzo Saba, but communitarian values, values that stress and strengthen family, community, and culture. And, you know, that's the definition of Kwanzaa, uh, Af- an African-American, Pan-African holiday that celebrates family, community, and culture. Kwanzaa is a celebration of family, community, and culture. And one of the beautiful things about Nguzo Saba is it is practiced all year round because people use it to name themselves and their children. They use it to name their organizations. They use it to develop their programs and projects all around the world all year round. But I want to close by saying, going back to the first principle, to advance the movement. And I think we're still struggling in a liberation struggle. So I created Kwanzaa to advance the movement. And I created as, number one, an act of freedom. Two, as an instrument of freedom. Three, as a celebration of freedom. And fourth, as a practice of freedom. It's an act of freedom in that I, I did not ask permission to do it. We, as an organization, uh, we didn't say to the white man or to the city council or to Congress to make this a holiday, a national holiday. No, we didn't do that. We made it an international, not just a national, but we made it an international because black people embraced it, made it their own, right? So we didn't ask it. I didn't ask, and that's again about the authenticity of the intellectual tradition. That's why when people say, oh, uh, somebody, Malani didn't do that, or the other people did that, well, they don't, they don't know the intellectual history. One of the things you'll notice about my writings and my teaching, I always base them in our culture, ancient and modern, continental and diasporan, right? So Kwanzaa is rooted in African tradition, first fruit African traditions, right? So it's an act of freedom in that it is, first of all, breaking the cultural bond that the oppressor has on our minds and imagine a new world from an African point of view. Second, it's an instrument of freedom. It raises consciousness. It gets people involved in culture and in the liberation conversation that came out of 
Kwanzaa. And then it's also celebration, celebration of our black self, our sacred and soulful, resourceful and resilient self. That's why when people say, can white people uh, celebrate Kwanzaa? No, the question is, can they celebrate black people in all their beauty and awesomeness, their sacredness and soulfulness? That's, that's a question, right? Who can do that, right? We have to do it. And then finally, it's a practice of freedom. Why? It's a practice of those principles all year round. We need unity, umoja, unity all year round. Kujichagalia, self-determination all year round. Ujima, collective working responsibility all year round. Ujamaa, cooperative economics all year round. Nia, purpose all year round. Kuumba, creativity all year round. Imani, oh, all year round. We have to believe in ourselves and our people and in the righteousness and victory of our struggle. Without that, who are we? How can we ask this, the question, who am I? Am I really who I am? And am I all out to be? If we're not living our lives and doing our work and waging our struggle in the most beautiful and valuable, ethical, effective, and expansive ways. All right. Hold on. Thought right there. Eight away from the top. Yeah. Craig's calling from the district. He's on line one. Wants to speak to you. Good morning, Craig. Well, thank you, Brother Carl, and happy Kwanzaa to you and Dr. Kwanga. And I just want to say, uh, Dr. Kwanga, uh, my father had a black conscious minister. And for some reason, I, it, he said something to my dad that woke up his consciousness. And I remember my father came home and he announced to the family, we're no longer celebrating Christmas. He took that Christmas tree out and threw it out of the house. And then next thing, I remember growing up as a kid, I was, I was angry at my dad for, many, for, for quite a while because I was a kid when this happened. And I used to get tired of being made fun of in the schools that, hey, you know, why you... I'll tell you what, Craig, hold school? that story right there. We want to hear the story, but we're going to take a okay. quick break. I'd like to tell that story okay. when you get back. We're six minutes away from the top there. We've got to check the traffic and weather in our different cities and the news for our listeners in Baltimore. I guess there's Dr. Milana Karenga family. Dr. Karenga created the celebration that we're enjoying right now called Kwanzaa. And we're going to ask him to explain, is it a holiday or is it a celebration? What are your thoughts? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876 to speak to Dr. Karenga. Your call is in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010. WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. Good morning, family. Habari Ghani. Happy Kwanzaa to you. It's Ujima, Cooperative Economics, third day of Kwanzaa. And Kwanzaa's holiday, or is it a holiday, or is it a celebration? And Dr. Karenga will explain that to us. He's our guest this morning, family. He's the one who created uh, Kwanzaa, and now it's celebrated all over the world, not just in every major city and small city towns, too, across the United States. I've seen red celebrations on the continent, in Europe, in the Caribbean, in South America, wherever black people are. We have a, our own and we'll figure it out if it's a holiday or a celebration with Dr. Karenga. But before we left, we're speaking with Craig. So, Craig, I'll let you finish your thought real quick for us. Yeah, okay. I'll be, I'll be as fast as I can. Like I was saying, when I was a kid growing up, when my dad announced that we, we weren't celebrating Christmas anymore, and I said I was really mad at him. And I used to get uh, made fun of at school all the time because my family would not celebrate Christmas and we celebrated Kwanzaa. And I used to get into fistfights all the time because of this. Now, what woke up my consciousness, what really made me accept Kwanzaa and accept my unforgivable blackness was roots. When I saw white people going in 
raping the hell out of black women, tearing up the nuclear family. And then when they captured Kunta Kinte, and when Kunta Kinte walked in the slave master, the big house, and he saw this slave uh, putting up a Christmas tree, and he asked his slave, he said, he asked the brother, he said, well, brother, what are you doing? And he said, well, I'm putting up this tree. And he said, well, why are you doing this? He said, well, master tell me to celebrate Christmas, and that's what master said. What master wants, that's what I do. Since master told me to celebrate Christmas, that's why I do. That woke up my consciousness right there. Then I stopped being ashamed of, of, of celebrating this beautiful holiday of Kwanzaa. Because, and I was nine years old when I saw that episode of Roots. And called why Dr. Quang is on the show. I hope that your people find that sound bite from Roots. This actually happened on the original series of Roots, mm. where he was questioning them. And it seems like any white holidays that it's made up of white people, it's like, you know, if you say anything bad about it, people want to criticize you. But a, a holiday invented by a black man, anything invented by black people, they criticize like they do on a conservative radio right now. So, Dr. Quianga, I mean, you should be very proud of yourself, of this beautiful, uh, this, this beautiful experience of Kwanzaa that's being celebrated all around the world. Because I'm telling you, it did woke up my dad, and I'm glad that my father had a powerful black conscious uh, minister that didn't give a damn about, you know, contributions that he was getting from his wife going to class. He was about right. black people. All right, know, let's, give so let's give him a chance to respond, Craig. Let's give him a chance to respond. Because, uh, Dr. Craig, is this an alternative to Christmas? Because we keep hearing that a lot of time. Is it a holiday? Is it a celebration? How do you? How did you conceive it? appreciate what you said, if I understand correctly. So I conceived it as a cultural alternative to the dominant society. And certainly Christianity and Christmas was part of that conversation, which of course flourished in black liberation theology. And I had a role in that, right? So here's what we said. At first I made, let me just say, answer this and I'm, I'm going to do it. So first of all, we had a critique of the white version and practice of Christianity. And I was severe on that. And sometimes I didn't make the sense that black is different than white, but I argued that what they were doing was not representative of the best of African thought and practice and the tradition of our mothers and fathers. I certainly did not criticize my father and mother who were Christians, right? I didn't, because they loved me. They did good. They spoke to they did justice. They, and actually, they put at the center of their Christianity, care for the poor and the vulnerable, what they call in their uh, terminology, in the biblical terminology, the least among us, right? And so that was there. I knew that. I was criticizing, and I didn't. I have to uh, make this uh, uh, correction. I was not criticizing as as of course, critically as I wanted to. I was not being exact as I should by making the distinction. That came later with black liberation theology, that there's a black way of engaging Christianity, right? And we have to respect that. So black liberation theology made us do that because then it says, I asked a question. I went to, it was a council, a national council of Negro clergymen. And I, they invited me during the Black Power Movement to speak there in St. Louis. And I challenged them, first of all, for saying Negro, they should say black. Later on, they changed it because we're talking about new people now. And second, I, I challenged them to ask, what kind of God do you have? If you're going to have a real God, a black God, then that God must look like you. 
It must be in your own image. It must be in your own interest. And it must be in your own history. Right? So we can't borrow things. We have to have our own version of things. And so what I want to do now is, of course, in a way that I did not do in the, in the 60s, is to reaffirm our need to respect all the African traditions but nevertheless, we can raise criticism of them, right? But I just criticized and I said this. So we can respect Christianity, black um, people's practice of Christianity, of Islam, of Judaism, just like we respect them practicing Ma'at or Kawita Ma'at or Ifa, or the Kawita Ifa, the traditions of our forefathers and foremothers, the original African traditions uh, have to be respected, but also these other traditions like Christianity, Islam, and Judaism among us, or Buddhism, Hindu, the things that black people do. We don't attack their faith, but we can actually criticize practices and thought, or at least debate them about. Kwanzaa is not a substitute for Christmas, and Kwanzaa is not a replacement of Christmas, right? And so what I want to do is realize that and stress it's not a religious holiday. So it can't replace a religious holiday. It's a culture one. It's a culture one. An African culture is large enough, deep enough, right? Expansive enough to include all the faith that black people have. And in fact, that's what made it grow. Because at the beginning, Christians felt, well, this might be, (laughs) no Christian has to quit doing that. I, mean, I would tend to call things pagan or something like that. Or, uh, you know, Abraham of faiths are hard on other traditions, right? They call, uh, the Christians call them pagans, the Jews call them heathen, the Muslims call them Kafirs. You know, we got to get past that. You know, we got to say, you know, people got a right to see themselves. It's, it's wrong for the Christian to call us names and then say we're wrong calling them names, right? So we got to stop name calling. And we got to have a dialogue with each other. And as you know, black people created this dialogue in the 60s, struggling against the monoculture understanding of society and education. We, we fought this battle in the streets and society and in the corporations and in the educational system especially. And, and we were, our organization, us, was at the center of the struggle for black studies and for black student unions, right? And so I think it's very important for us to understand that African culture is an inclusive culture, and we have to do that. We don't need to argue to replace or put aside others. But I understand uh, what your uh, what you did, what your father did, uh, kind brother, and I, I understand because we did a similar thing, right? But we uh-huh. understood that it's important for us to have mutual respect for all the faiths, and that's what we teach now. So even in the mm-hmm. 60s, Kwanzaa uh, is not a replacement or substitute for Christmas because it seeks to do different things. Christianity uh, grounds you in a religious belief, but Kwanzaa grounds you in a culture, value system, and practices for African and human good and the well-being of the world. And that everybody can embrace. Thank you for explaining that for us, because that's a you know a question that comes about every time at this time of the year, whether you should celebrate Kwanzaa or, or Christmas. Is it a celebration or, is, is, or, or a commemoration? How do you see it? Yeah, well, 
So it's many things, but let me let me get the etymology or the origin of the word uh, holiday. So holiday is days or, or day or days that are sacred, right? They represent the sacred or the highly significant. So with us, it's both sacred and highly significant, right? Because it's about black people. And there's no people more chosen or sacred than us, right? And we believe we're chosen not over and against anyone, but chosen with all humans, as Odu Ifa, sacred text of Ifa says, that let's do things with joy. For surely humans have been divinely chosen to bring good into the world, right? And this, we say, is our fundamental mission and meaning of human life. And we're chosen not over and against anyone, but chosen with everyone uh, to bring good into the world. And so I want us to see that we celebrate in this, but there are other things about Kwanzaa as a holiday. So there are five fundamental activities in Kwanzaa that comes from our African first fruit celebration. And Kwanzaa is a first fruit celebration, at least based on a first fruit celebration. That is the first crops that are harvested. Africans would have these uh, gathering together uh, to celebrate the harvest and the sharing of good in the world. And there's five aspects to it. So that's what this Kwanzaa, Kwanzaa is supposed to be, emulating those five uh, activities of the first fruit uh, celebration. The first is the ingathering of the people to reaffirm the bonds between them. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning that chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. To reestablish, re-strengthen, and recommit ourselves to building the best of relationship possible. Because we understand ourselves in relationship, Carl. I am, as a result of my mother and father, my grandmother and grandfather, all the people before me and even now and after me, right? That's who I am. I'm always in the past, in the present, and in the future, always, right? I can, ever, I can never disconnect those relationships without diminishing myself. I become a small person just now. I must ground myself in my past, and I must think about my present and try to improve it. And I must think about my future and imagine a whole new future, try to bring it into being and lay the basis for the future generation. A second aspect, activities of these first fruit celebrations and of Kwanzaa is showing special reverence for the creator and the creation, right? So even if you're not religious, you can still appreciate the creation, right? That is the earth, right? Because it's a first fruit celebration, an agriculture celebration, uh, celebration that, in fact, you know, gives thanks for the earth and the abundance that the earth yields and making a commitment to protect and preserve the earth. So it's a very environmentally conscious and committed 
holiday. We're supposed to respect the earth and all in it, right? Because African and human good is dependent upon the well-being of the world and all in it. And then third, it was a time for commemoration. Commemoration of the past, that's what we're supposed to do, to raise up those who opened a way for us to walk in dignity, to imagine freedom and to struggle for good in the world and to expand the realm of freedom and justice and goodness in the world. We honor them because as Ozzie, uh, Nana Ozzie Davis said of Nana Malcolm X, in honoring him, we honor the best in ourselves. So the ancestors give us models and mirrors by which we uh, do, uh, carry out our life and measure ourselves. The models give us, you know, templates by which we can understand goodness and the pursuit of goodness. And the mirror they provide helps us to measure ourselves and answer those three questions. Who am I? Am I really who I am? And am I all I ought to be? So we call this practicing the morality of remembrance, right? To practice the morality of remembrance because it is right to remember. It is wrong to forget. For it's a time for us I to... Do, hold the fourth one right there, Dr. Crane. We ought to take a quick break. I'll let you pick it up on the other side of this break. We ought to check the traffic and weather for our commuters this morning. Uh, folks want to talk to you as well. I guess this is Dr. Milana Karenga. He created this holiday that we're celebrating right now called Kwanzaa Worldwide, by the way. It's been celebrated by Africans and started by an African-American. What are your thoughts? 800-450-7876 or 14 after the top. Yeah, we're back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also, in the DMV, we're rolling on FM 95.9 at AM 1450, WOL, where information is power. Barigani family, 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, Dr. Marlana Karenga. Dr. Karenga created Kwanzaa, the holiday we're celebrating right now, and it's celebrated all over the world. It's amazing seeing the, it's, it's it, how people, black people just have, we have our own holiday that we can celebrate. It's, it's interesting to see if we have whites react to us when we talk about Kwanzaa. That's why he's here this morning. So when other folks from other cultures ask about Kwanzaa, you have, you have the appropriate responses. So Dr. Karenga, we're on number four now, so I'll let you uh, do number four for us. Yes, thank you so much. So we're talking about uh, how we celebrate Kwanzaa and how um, it's more than celebration. Even though we say celebration, it's also, number one, the ingathering of the people to reaffirm the bonds between the time of special. Number two is spot time of special reverence for the creator and the creation and a recommitment to protect and preserve the earth. Uh, which provides the abundance for us. And then third, it's a, a time for the commemoration of the past, raising up our ancestors, praising them, and practicing the morality of remembrance. And fourth, it's a time for recommitment uh, to our highest values, values that teach us, you know, to be the best of what it means to be African and human in the fullest sense of the word, to speak truth, to, pardon me, to seek and speak truth, to do and demand justice, to cherish and challenge our children, to care for the poor and the vulnerable among us, to have a rightful relationship with the environment, to constantly struggle against evil, injustice, and oppression, and always praise, raise up, and pursue the good. And of course, to practice the Nguzo Saba, right? 
We call this in a candle lighting ceremony, lifting up the light that lasts. When we light the candles, it's an ancient ceremony of lifting up the light that lasts. The Husea, the sacred text of our ancestors in the Nile Valley, uh, ancient Egypt, uh, say that we're given that which endures in the midst of that which is overthrown. And that which endures in the midst of things that are overthrown, that change, that become different, are our moral and spiritual values. Speaking truth, doing just caring for each other, and especially the poor among us. And so we recommit ourselves to these seven principles, as well as all the values that are dignity-affirming, life-enhancing, and world-preserving. Dignity-affirming, life-enhancing, and world-preserving values of our ancestors. And then finally, uh, Carl, we, uh, and, and listen, we celebrate the good. Kwanzaa is a time in the ancient first fruit celebration were fifth, a time of celebrating the good in a special way. The good of life, the good of family, community, and culture, the good of a harvest planned together, cultivated together, harvested together, and shared together. The good of life, the good of the world, the good of forest and field, rock and river, star and stone, right? The good of all things in the world. That's what we celebrate. And the agriculture holiday, again, is to celebrate the whole of the environment and to remember uh, as in, in, that we are not just human beings, we're world beings. In Swahili, we have two words for the human being. Watu, which is straight out human being, and Walingwingu, which means world being. To see ourselves embedded in the world, embedded in the world, and dependent on the world, but in a mutual relationship where we are to care for the world. As uh, uh, Queen Hatshepsut says, as a dutiful daughter for her father and mother. But what is God to us, as uh, the text said, but a mother and father who cares for us and teaches us to care for each other. So this is from the ancient African tradition, the oldest tradition that we know, written tradition we know in the world, right? And so I think it's very important for us to remember those things and then commemorate, commemorating that past, learn from it, learn from it. The text says, learn, love learning, right? Better is a book than a well-built house. Better is a book than a memorial plaque in the temple. Learn, right? There's life in learning, right? And the future uh, Haji Malcolm said, belongs to those who prepare for it. And education is that path to the future that we must open for ourselves and all our people. Always, Nana Mary McLeod Bethune says, think about the people, especially if you have knowledge. Share it, she said. What is our duty, she says, of those who know? We are to discover the dawn and then share it with the masses of our people and our young people who need it most. That's our duty. So we celebrate all those things, right, that I told you about. Celebration is in gathering, special reverence for the creator and creation, a a commemoration of the past, a recommitment to our highest values, and a celebration of all the good in the world. All right, 27 after the top of the hour. Uh, Jeff is joining us from Florida. He's online, too, has a question for you or a comment. Jeff, good morning. You're on with Dr. Karenga. 
Hey, good morning. Uh, how are you doing? Habarigani. Ujima, Habarigani. Yes, Ujima. Yeah, I, I just had a uh, really, really quick um, down here in Florida. Of course, you know, uh, the situation here with uh, black history and, and some, of the, some of the issues that we're facing. Well, we just had the largest Kwanzaa celebration uh, on the Space Coast that we've had uh, ever. Uh, and this is after 12 years, 13 years of, of doing Kwanzaa here. We had over 120 plus people uh, gathered together in an African market style Kwanzaa celebration. So for, for me personally, it is like a celebration, we, you know, with, with the children uh, learning about their history, with people sitting there watching the libation take place. Um, my question for you uh, here is this, and this is something that, uh, you know, I think about what what more can we do? to engage uh, today's youth, they're, they're, they're far removed from church. They, you know, you know, they're not in church or you know, organized religion. Um, they struggle with a, a lot of issues that come out of uh, their particular culture of hip-hop, different things that they're hearing. How can we engage them to, to get them to understand and see even more of the importance of, of celebrating uh, their culture in Kwanzaa? All right. Thanks, Jeff. Good question. Dr. Karanga? Yes. So, uh, first of all, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for that. And happy Kwanzaa to you and Pongezi, which is Swahili, for congratulations for having such a beautiful, big uh, Kwanzaa. Uh, that's what Kwanzaa is. Above all, a lived and living experience, a lived and lived experience. And so the first thing I would do is not generalize about the youth. There are some youth that are problematic, that are having problems, and there's some that are succeeding. And what we want to do is not borrow the pathological language of the dominant society. And so we make distinctions that how can we help? I would ask the question, and I appreciate your question. I'm just rephrasing it, but I certainly appreciate it, and I know what you're talking about, and I agree. Everybody needs a better chance at life and to live their lives fully. Uh, we want that more than anything. We want to see our people develop, to be free, to be themselves in the most beautiful, sacred, uh, and resilient and soulful way. And so we don't want to generalize. We want to say there's some problem, but here's some models we can use. There are some people doing good, so we have to take those that are doing good and hold them up as the model. I was teaching last, I gave a lecture last night on Kwanzaa virtual, and I was saying, I was born from Haji Malcolm's teaching in his autobiography when he was still in the Nation of Islam, which gave us so much black consciousness. He said, he said that the messenger, messenger Elijah Muhammad said to him that when you teach, you know, you could go to negative or you can go to positive. But let me tell you this, if you see someone drinking a glass of dirty water, you can either condemn them or you can do this. Put a clear glass of water by them and believe they will choose the best for themselves. So that every problem I see in this, every problem is not simply a problem. It's an opportunity for us to teach ourselves to get better in how we communicate with our people, right? And so we, first of all, we study. We study our people. You see what Du Bois, oh, Nana W.B. Du Bois, uh, one of our best scholars, you know, he said, when our great, great Scott, he, he said that, you know, we have to study our people. Our people is worthy of the most careful study. 
Haji Malcolm said the same thing, that one of the reasons we have uh, issues with our people, we don't have, he called it light, enlightenment. He said, if you have enlightenment, you know, the people, then you can get wisdom. Do you get wisdom? You get love. You learn how to love your people. And you learn how to love your people. You learn how to unite with them. And Haji, uh, uh, Haji Malcolm told us, we've got to love the people. And Osaji Efu, Nana Osaji Efu Nkrumah said, go to the people. Start with what they know. Build on what they have. But that means studying our people and not confusing epistemology with ontology. Ontology is our being. Epistemology is our knowledge. We can be something, not know it, right? Just because we're black don't mean we know everything about black. So we got to go to the people and learn what they say and see them as an infinite source, an infinite resource of knowledge and understanding. So study our people, read our people, talk to our people, and then begin to speak truth to the people, right? Just speak truth to the people. Empower them. A lot of times people say, speak truth to power. But I say, speak truth to the people first. Then you can speak truth to power because you have the unity you need to make a difference. Speak truth then. Teach truth. Study again. And then live the life you want them to emulate. Right? And so the thing is to give them models and mirrors. Models that they can emulate. And mirrors by which they can measure themselves. And it's always education, mobilization, organization, and then confrontation. That leads to transformation. So teach the people the beauty of themselves, right? Challenge them to love themselves and to do good and get them interested in what they're interested in in another level. So they're interested in this music. What else can you say about this music, right? And learn them to be critical, to think critical. We call it Jair in ancient Egyptian tradition, deep thinking, right? Probing, discovering, right? Doing diagnosis, prognosis, and then prescription for how we transform ourselves, right? That's so beautiful if we think like that. So engage every problem as an opportunity to share good with our people. Every challenge is a way to develop not only them, but ourselves. I love to encounter problems because it challenges me to learn more, to learn how to relate better, to learn uh, different kinds of knowledge I wouldn't even deal with if, if someone hasn't brought it. So it's the living the life of our blackness that is so beautiful, so sacred, so soulful. And if we take that attitude... We can succeed. I close with this verse from the Odu Ifa 78.1, the sacred text of our Yoga ancestors that says, Let's do things with joy, for surely humans have been divinely chosen to bring good into the world. And we must love, the text said, love doing good. Now, that's one of my beautiful verses I like. It says, we're going to make a new word. We got to sacrifice, right? We got to do that. We got to have character. But we also have to do good in the world. And we can't just do good. We must love doing good. We can't complain about doing good. We must love doing good. And we must do things with joy. 
Right. Hold that thought right there, Dr. Karanga. We've got to take a, a last look at the news, traffic, and weather in our different cities. And also, uh, they've called and told us that the National Museum, the National African American Museum, finally is doing a Kwanzaa celebration. It's going to be on Saturday, Imani. And so, you folks, just check it out. i got to thank Baba Lumumba. He, he would come on here every, every time he was on. And he was blast him for not. And he said, call them up and tell them they've got to do something for Kwanzaa. And finally, this year, Dr. Karanga, they're doing something for Kwanzaa. I'll let you re- reflect on that when we get back. Okay. 26 minutes away from the top of our family. Our guest is Dr. Milan Karenga. He's the one who created Kwanzaa. We celebrate Kwanzaa. This is the third day of Kwanzaa in Ujima. Uh, cooperative economics. We're back in four minutes, though, with your questions for Dr. Karenga right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. This is damn. The Barigani family, our guest is Dr. Milana Karenga, the one who created uh, Kwanzaa. Before we go back to him, let's remind you, tomorrow's Friday. We're going to give you another chance to free your mind the last Friday of the year. Think for yourself and join us on our Open Phone Friday program. We begin promptly at 6 a.m. right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Dr. Karenga, before we left, I was telling you that the National African American Museum in Washington, D.C., they never had anything around there in Kwanzaa. And Baba Lumumba one of our griots in the district would come in every time it was on. He'd put them on blast and says, you can't be a, a, a national museum, African-American museum, and not have anything for Kwanzaa. Well, finally, they must have heard because he gave out the phone number and he says they're going to have a Kwanzaa and watch night visions of freedom starting on Saturday morning at 11 to 3. So that's the African-American uh, museum. So I don't want to get to respond to that. And Brother Sadiq in Boston has a question for you as well. Okay. So before I do that, I want to just say uh, and because we're going to, we're almost running out of time. Each year I give an annual Founders Kwanzaa message. And this year, the message is Kwanzaa Freedom, Justice, and Peace Principles and Practices for a New uh, World. And I want people to read that. I want them to go to the uh, official Kwanzaa website.org, official Kwanzaa website.org, and get that. And I want to wish Africans everywhere, as I always do, Throughout the world African community, it is our Kwanzaa, which means happy Kwanzaa. And we bring our organization at the African American Culture Center up, bring and send greetings of celebration, solidarity, and continued struggle for an inclusive and shared good in the world. And we also wish for African people and all the world, all the good that heaven grants, the earth produces, and the waters bring forth from their death. Hotel Ashe Hedy. I wanted to do that. Now, let me go to uh, what you said about the National uh, African American uh, Museum. I want to also thank, uh, as you said, uh, Baba Lumumba and also the committee that he uh, helped form uh, the Kwanzaa Now com- uh, campaign. And Baba Lumumba, uh, Ofurawa Idawa, Kibibi Tayimba, uh, Dr. Sigun Shabaka, uh, Watella uh, Ibn Yusuf, uh, uh, Maisha Sullivan Ongoza, and Reverend Afia Diane Dawson. All uh, should be praised for that. And I'm I'm so glad that every time uh, Baba Lumumba, I have a lot of respect for me. He's a strong soldier, a constant soldier, and gives all good insight uh, into where we are and where we ought to be going. So I give him a lot of uh, praise and thanks for that. I am concerned, however, uh, with this, because 
uh, of several things. Number one, they never dealt with expert consultation, right? This is a very important part. There's no way in the world anybody would do an exhibition on Toni Morrison if she was alive and not check with her and see if this is right or what. Uh, so the, the museum never contacted the African-American Culture Center, us, which is the international headquarters of Kwanzaa. They didn't contact the creative Kwanzaa, myself. And they didn't refer, or at least have not referred in any the uh, points I've seen. They did not refer to or seem to read the definitive book on the origins and principles and practices of Kwanzaa, which I wrote, called Kwanzaa, A Celebration of Family, Community, and Culture. And so they've made mistakes. For example, they have the kind of Latin wrong. So people all over the world are going to look at this and they'll get the wrong uh, process. You see, that sloppiness there. You would never create a Jewish, uh, do an exhibition of a Jewish holiday or a Japanese holiday or Chinese holiday or Mexican holiday uh, in a museum and never convert, con consult the people who are versed in that particular. It's different between a curator, so you just collect things, but you also get expert information on what is appropriate, what is the best way to do that. So that's the first concern I have. The other thing is whether they have genuine concern for maintaining and reaffirming the integrity, beauty, and expansive meaning of Kwanzaa. So if you like the Kwanzaa's wrong, you, you're putting the wrong information out of there. But, and so I think it's very important. And also, like, some of the things that they say are not exactly true. They're not there, right? But they didn't give anyone a chance to even speak to it. So they're just doing it. And the problem with that is when you contact them, they might have a tendency to justify anything done because it's black, right? By claiming personal preference or privilege or and you can do anything, right? And therefore they substitute mm, uh, their own personal uh, opinions and preferences for respecting the core principles and practices that have made this celebration something beautiful and embraceable by millions of African people throughout the world African community. The things that we did in the original, that's what united people. To change it is to disunite them. And so that's a problem there. The third problem is, are they contributing to the understanding and appreciation of the holiday? Or is this a reinterpretation for white acceptance, consumption, and cultural appropriation? And the cultural appropriation can come in several ways. It could be just commerce. It could be performance action and inclusion of white. Or it could be, what, reshaping it so that it's no longer has its particularity. It's an anonymous American habit. Like they say, oh, it's Geronimo, an American legend. It's not. It's a Native American historical uh, and grand uh, 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 history, right? Pardon me, it's a grand history. Geronimo is a grand history of Native Americans. It's not an anonymous American legend. In fact, he fought against America. America in its current form of conquest and manifest destiny, killing millions of Native Americans and calling it the move westward, right? So it's the same with Kwanzaa. And I, I appeal to black people to insist on maintaining the integrity, the beauty and expansive meaning of this holiday and not let it be culturally appropriate 
by a petty bourgeoisie that is interested more in uh, white acceptance and consumption and cultural appropriation than in maintaining the integrity of beauty and um, expansive meaning of Kwanzaa. You see this expansive meaning? We're talking about all this two hours, right? I'm not sure that's going to be there because who would speak it? Who would know it? And what they want is what white people do on television, dancing and singing, right? Which is good. You know, I'm, hey, we're musical people, right? That's one of the way we talk life. We speak truth through that, right? But is there something deeper? So when they do Hanukkah for the Jews, or they do a Chinese New Year. They don't just talk about doing firecrackers. What is the meaning of this, right? Where is that being done? And how could you not include the international headquarters of Kwanzaa in helping to put this together? It's not a good sign, but I want to be positive. I don't want, I don't want you to see this as a condemnation. What it is, is a rightful presentation of concern, critical concern for the integrity, beauty, and expansive meaning of Kwanzaa being maintained and built on. All right. Ten away from the top. As I mentioned, Brother Siddiqui is calling from Boston, has a quick question for you. He's on line one. Brother Siddiqui, Abarigani, good morning. You're on with Dr. Karenga. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. McDonald's is not new to chicken. So maybe stop questioning their chicken cred and get your hands on the McCrispy. Juicy fried chicken, buttery bun, unmatched pickle to chicken ratio. Yeah, they know what they're doing. In fact, we can honestly say they're not new to chicken. They're true to chicken. The McCrispy. Only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay. Okay, we'll continue then. Someone wants to respond. Call a bit. Brother City had a question for you. He must have hung up. Thank you. All right. Uh, Daryl's in Baltimore. And Daryl, can you make it quick? So, because we're running out of time here. He's on line five. Yes, good morning. Yes, you're on the air. Make it quick. Okay, thank you. Yeah. The, uh, the question is Kwanzaa, a holiday of celebration. Kwanzaa to me is an awakening. It gives us the outline to learn African culture again. It's about culture and spirituality. It helps us express and expose our spirituality. Dr. Karina said, and I agree, every other race of people came here and was able to teach their children their culture. We were stripped of our African culture, language, spirituality, and sense of family. The African babies were removed from their parents to ensure they could not communicate and be taught their culture, their history, and their knowledge of self. My thought, the one organization we have to help free us from this cultural void is the black church, who teaches a history of around 2,000 years ago but the vast majority do not teach the congregation the history of themselves. The book that they teach from the Bible states the truth 
Right, and and Daryl, I'm going to let you go because we we understand we we understand where, you, where you're coming from, and we were just flat out of time, and we want to give Dr. Krenga a thank you because I know Dr. Krenga, I know you, at this time of the year you get a lot of requests from all over the world to people want to hear what you say about Kwanzaa, and we appreciate the fact that you chose us to come on this morning to discuss Kwanzaa and tell us how it was created, and and just from from just all the folks who are listening globally nationally we just want to thank you that we have something we can call our own that you created for us i just a person i just want to thank you for all the years you've stayed on course with this with kwanzaa and we and we're going to continue to celebrate kwanzaa thank you for that and i just want to tell um our last guest uh, always stress the positive it's at kwanzaa time we don't recount all the injuries that people have and all the faults black people might have. That's a pathological discussion that the dominant society always gets involved in. But what we want to do is come talking about what Kwanzaa means to us and add to the beauty of it by adding your experience. Your experience is a beautiful experience with Kwanzaa. Tell us about that. Share that. That's what I was telling the person earlier about how to relate to the uh, youth. Don't talk to negative during this period. Talk to positive. Talk possibility. Teach the good, the right, and the possible. We always tell our people, this is our commitment to, first of all, to be a good person in the world, to be a consistent servant of the people, to be a continuous student of the teachings of our ancestors, and always to be a tireless teacher of the good, the right, and the possible. That's what we have to do, and that pushes Kwanzaa, and that, sub, that, that pushes away the negative and gives people something positive and beautiful to build on. Speak truth to the people. Speak beauty to the people. Tell them how beautiful they are, how sacred and soulful they are. Don't waste time on our oppressor. Our oppressor has no morals a lot of time. Look at what they're doing in the world waging genocidal war in broad daylight and supporting it with our monies, right? I'm telling you, we have to give the world an alternative. We are great people. We are moral and social vanguard. We not only fought struggles that benefited us, we fought struggles that expanded the realm of human freedom for everybody in this country and by extension in the world. And that's why people all over the world and in this country, borrowed our moral vocabulary right. and our moral vision and posed our struggle as a model to emulate black people. Thank you, Dr. Karenga. Thank you. If we're flat out of time, family, we got to run. Thank you, Dr. Karenga. All right. Our family, stay strong, stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, uh, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB and also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.